If you love reality TV, check out the Ringer Reality TV podcast. We are covering the challenge every week with Johnny Bananas, Survivor every week with Tyson Apostle, all the Bravo shows, the Kardashians, Love is Blind, which just kicked up on Netflix. You name it, we're covering it. Great hosts, great shows. It is the best reality feed, the Ringer Reality TV podcast. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. After four years away, it's the return of a fan favorite, Arby's Brown Sugar Bacon Sandwiches. Stacked with sweet and savory bacon that will give you a candied feast for the senses. Available in BLT, roast beef, and turkey sandwiches. Try Arby's Brown Sugar Bacon Sandwiches today. Order the sandwiches online or on the Arby's app. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Limited time offer at participating U.S. locations while supplies last. We're also brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook as well as the Ringer podcast network where our NBA coverage has kicked into full gear. We got the Ringer NBA show. We got the mismatch. We got Ryan Rosillo. We got the Ringer gambling show. Uh, we are ready to roll. Some great shows all across the board on all those feeds. Our pop culture stuff's been great too. Rewatchables, big picture, the watch. Mentioned the uh, Ringer reality TV pod at the top. The prestige TV pod, which White Lotus is coming. Don't think I'm not going to be on the Prestige TV pod every week talking about White Lotus because it's happening. Get ready. Buckle your seatbelts, my friends. Uh, and then a whole bunch of other good stuff as well. But uh, go check out. Just if you don't know everything we have, either go to ringer.com or just search on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Search for The Ringer and a bunch of awesome podcasts will, uh, will pop up. On this podcast, we are going to be talking a little bit later to Benjamin Solak about the rookie classes from the last two years. What's going on with the Giants? Should we trust the Bengals against the Falcons this week? And then Peter Schrager is going to tell us about the owner meetings. Do we believe in the Seattle team? What should we do for million-dollar picks? Had a slight profit last week. Can we keep the momentum going? That's all coming up later. And at the very top, I am going to be talking basketball because taping that part late Thursday night because I went to Lake, Lakers uh, Clippers and also what I saw in the games. I watched seven hours of hoops last night. One thing I didn't watch was Yankees Astros. And I'm kind of pretending the series isn't happening. I have no idea what to do from a rooting standpoint because obviously I hate the Yankees more than life itself. And I never want them to have happiness and I never want their, them to succeed. I never want their fans to feel good ever about baseball. So there's that. Then you have the Astros who freaking cheated and feels like they got I don't know, one-tenth of the shit you normally get when you are cheaters. So I kind of like the thought of them just not winning another World Series with this core. And then the one that they got was like the asterisk, you guys cheated, you didn't deserve a title. So I was trying to figure out what I wanted to root for in this scenario. And I think this is where I landed, but I still really don't want to watch. I don't, 
I don't want to bet on this. I don't want to feel like I'm leaning either way. But I think the best case scenario for a Red Sox fan, the Yankees beat the Astros in the ALCS, which again, I can't root for. I can't ever root for the Yankees. The only time ever was the 9-11 season in the playoffs. I got a little caught up because it meant so much to the city. That was like the one exception I'm ever going to make. Um, Yankees beat the Astros. Astros get sent packing, which is important because they have the best of, of the four teams that are left. Yankees go to the World Series. Yankees lose the World Series. So the Yankees do the dirty work for us to get the Astros out of there. They go to the World Series. Their fans' hopes raised. They're probably favored in either matchup, whether it's the Phillies or the Padres. And then they blow the World Series. This is where I've landed as my favorite possible outcome for the 2022 playoffs that my team is sitting out. So there you go. Not going to be a lot of baseball talk on this podcast for the next couple of weeks because I'm pretending the LCS is not happening. I'm kind of enjoying Phillies Padres, but you can listen to the Ringers Philly special if you want to hear uh, Philly stuff. So there you go. All right. Going to bring in Pearl Jam and then I'm going to talk a little basketball. Tales from the Staples Center is next. All right, taping this, it is a little past 10 o'clock. Just got back from the Crypto Center, whatever it's called now. God knows how long it's going to be called, whatever it's called. Lakers Clippers. I remember the days when the Clippers were the nail and the Lakers were the hammer. Feels like those days are shifting. The Lakers are bad. They just are. LeBron, you know, you could see at the end of the game, the Clippers, uh, LeBron can post up as long as he has some spacing, he can basically get to the rim against anybody, it seems like, these days. And yet the Clippers just triple team him because there's no shooter that can hurt them. Westbrook had one of the most legendary bad games I think I've seen in person, um, including a sequence. I was surprised they put him back in, and they did. And I think he finished, what was he, 0 for 11? Um, but the last two were especially brutal because the 10th miss was the shot clock breaking down. He passed up a three. He tried to be smart, drove to the basket, wasn't there, pulled it back. The spacing was off. Now he had to create a shot, air ball, and the crowd made a noise that you rarely hear with a crowd. It, it, it was like, I don't want to say like seeing a car accident. It was more like hearing the pastor fart in church where nobody kind of knows what to do. There's just kind of this awkward silence. That was how it described. Then the 11th one, LeBron's triple team throws a pass out to him and he breaks the three. I don't know what they do with the Westbrook thing. You look at their schedule and man, it's rough because now you could say, look, settle down. They lost to two of the best teams in the West. I don't know. They got Portland at home on Sunday and Portland's got wings and shooting. They have at Denver, at Minnesota, home for Denver, home for New Orleans, who's a juggernaut, Utah home, Cleveland home, at Utah, at the Clippers. I mean, they could be like, honestly, they could be like two and 10 to start the season. New Orleans owns their pick. And if you are not in full panic, if you're a Lakers fan, I don't know what to tell you. LeBron, I look, amazing to watch somebody in year 20, um, watching his basketball genius, watching him try to navigate how to play with this team that's somehow worse than the 2018 Cavs. I was impressed. I was not in, that impressed by Davis. The Clippers side, John Wall looked great. Too early to tell with Kawhi. He looked rusty. Um, they'll be there. And 
whether who, who is their crunch time point guard, I think will probably be the subplot to watch for them. Um, but the thing with LeBron watching him tonight, I was thinking, you know, it's funny that this was happening in Hollywood because this was like watching a great actor in a bad movie. And we got the fans get to be on the side watching them film the scenes. And LeBron shows up and he's like, you know, Daniel Day Lewis, but he's filming, you know, Taken Five and just bad actors all the way around him. And he shows up on time and he delivers his lines and he's Daniel Day Lewis and everybody else in the movie is awful. And then the moment they say cut, he's like out to his trailer. That was how it felt. There was a couple of times like him just, uh, you know, time out and he would just go to his seat on the bench on the left. And it was kind of like he was a little bit of a distance away from everybody else. He wasn't doing the LeBron leadership thing. He knows he gets it. And at some point he's going to, he can't get traded this year. And at some point he's just going to realize like we, we suck and I'm just going to try to score as many points as possible. He might have arrived at that conclusion today. Then the Clippers started triple teaming him. The Davis piece, I can't figure out. I don't know. I, I don't know what happened to the New Orleans guy. Everybody's like 2018 Davis is back, but 2018 Davis was above the rim and he was attacking the rim. Those were the two things he was great at. And there was a jump shot that kind of came and went. And now he's settling for the jump shot. And you know all the jump shot stats with him. They're awful. Anyway, uh, interesting night. And the Clippers never felt for a second that they were going to lose that game. More storylines. I watched basketball for eight hours yesterday and, uh, and then watched Philly Milwaukee today. I've watched an incredible amount of hoops. I'm just going to rip through really fast. These aren't, aren't quite overreactions, just things that piqued my interest. We'll call these interest peakers. Number one, Harden looks really good, but at the same time, they've kind of reassembled the 2019 Rockets. Max is not delighted about it. Embiid is not happy. Last year, Embiid almost wins the MVP. It's Embiid's team. It's Embiid's city. It's all about, this is, this is Embiid's world. We're all living it. They bring in Harden. It's, I just want to be a point guard and help out, help out Joel. And I'm just here to help and whatever. Summer happens. Harden takes a little bit less. They get Tucker. Um, they start, it starts to feel a little more like the Harden Rockets. And then you watch what's going on and it's a lot of the Harden just standing around. And the reason I mentioned this is because we know with the NBA that guys get unhappy and people start hinting that they might want out a little faster and a little more aggressively than we always expect. Like think about Harden last year in the net. Seemed inconceivable that he was going to ask for a trade and then all of a sudden he was asking for a trade. I would watch the Embiid thing because you have the Knicks sitting there. They're run by Leon and Wes who, you know, were Embiid's guys when that when uh when they were agents. They didn't make the Mitchell trade. They have this war chest of stuff. And I guarantee they are throwing charcoal on the fire right now. Like, man, Joel, what's going on? Why is this Harden's team now? We, we, there's no way if they feel like Embiid is even remotely unhappy that they're not going to pour as much gasoline on that fire as they can. I would just watch that storyline and not that I listen, why would the Sixers trade Embiid? They wouldn't. That's insane. But when a guy wants out in the NBA, what have we seen in the last few years? The trade begrudgingly happens. 
And I would just watch this scenario because I promise you, Joel Embiid did not want to be in the 2019 Rockets. Now, you could say they lost to Boston, who could be the best team in the league. And if they're not, they're the second best, third best. And then they lost to Milwaukee, who is another top three team. Don't overreact. Try not to overreact. I'm just saying, doesn't feel like Embiid's team. It feels like Harden's team. And we know how basketball works. So that story piqued my interest. Um, another thing that piqued my interest, Palo Bancara. I know it's all been said now. I'm taping this a day after the game. I actually felt stupid that I thought anybody else should be the number one pick last summer. Because you watch that dude. He's so polished. The, the speed that he was playing at against Detroit, where he, he's not rushing like a rookie would. It doesn't seem frantic. He didn't have any deer in the headlights. He looked like he'd been played 100 games already. He was posting up. He's taking his time, you know, working his way down the low post. He's passing out of the low post. He's running the break on transition, making plays in traffic. I was blown away. Honestly, I was blown away. I, I had no idea he was going to be that good right away. And you look at Orlando with him and Franz and man, that is, that is like a young core. If we're doing the young core draft, they have to be up there. So I'm really happy for Orlando that they finally nailed this and him and Franz together um, are going to be really hard to play. Like think about if they had to, like when they play the Lakers, who the fuck is going to guard those guys in the Lakers? Is LeBron going to guard them? They're going to have Davis guarding them? Lonnie Walker? Like, Give me a break. So that one, uh, just Paolo, how good he was, I was shocked by. Here's another thing that piqued my interest. It's, look, CP got sat during the comeback and people do that and you leave out the team sometimes that's, that's playing well. He didn't look great and he's old. He's from the 2005 draft. He's one of the four oldest players in the league. We talked about this when we did the Over Under podcast with, uh, with Rosillo and House, that at some point it becomes illogical that somebody's going to produce as a high level as a point guard, much less be an all NBA player. I really wonder how this will play out with him if his skills have slipped just a little bit, plus the playbook's out to make him work. And what do the Suns do? Is Does this become Booker's team? Just how does this all play out? I am way more interested in that than I was two days ago. Portland is a team that was a little better than maybe I gave them credit for because of uh, of Shaden Sharp <laughs> off the bench. Was not expecting him to be uh, really good and comfortable right away as a rookie. Um, the Dame piece, though, I look. I my dad was giving me his Celtics tickets there in the '90s after Reggie Lewis died when we had like eight straight years of awful seasons. And we had Dana Barris at one point. ML Carr stupidly signed Dana Barris for way too much money. Great guy, great teammate. Um, but it was basically just a, you know, a 5'10", three-point shooter who couldn't guard anybody. Dame, at least last night, um, reminded me of like 1997 Dana Barris. And again, I enjoyed Dana Barris, but that's not a compliment for a guy making $50 million a year. I didn't see the burst with him. I just didn't. And you go back to last summer when, you know, the Olympics, he was terrible. And it's like, is he hurt? Well, it turned out he was hurt. Then last season, he's hurt. He gets surgery. Um, this has now been a year and a half, maybe more, since we've seen Dame as like an elite guy. And he's a small point guard. And if he loses that burst, that now you're just a three-point shooter. But that's when, 
He might have just had a bad game. That's why, again, this just piqued my interest. But I'm going to watch that one a little more carefully because I didn't feel like he had the same burst. I didn't feel like he was going by anybody that easily. On the other end, though, Simons looked great. Sharp looked good. You know, Sacramento didn't have Keegan Murray. They were in the game. And then De'Aaron Fox, yet again, had another terrible crunch time. He was awesome for 44 minutes. And then the last four minutes, missed two shots, two turnovers. And this has been the problem with him for four years, five years in the Kings is just crunch time decision-making. It's just never been there. Russell and I talk about this constantly when we have any sort of Kings conversation. I still like that Kings team too. I thought their, their crowd was great and they were a guy short and was Murray. So we'll see what happens when they come back. Uh, the Nets looked horrendous and some of it was explainable because they were missing two shooters, right? They're missing Harris and Curry. But what piqued my interest with them was Kyrie's just not a winning player. In, unless some things change. The way he plays where it's just like, I'm basically a ball hog. I don't make anyone else better and I don't really play defense and I'm, a, I'm pretty much a liability defensively. He doesn't look like a star player to me. And, you know, again, Harris will come back. Simmons will be way less rusty, hopefully. And Curry, especially having Curry in the shooting and maybe things open up. But um, I didn't think... Kyrie last year in the playoffs was really good for most of game one, had like a classic throwback Kyrie game and then wasn't good in the last three games and somehow gets a pass for that. My thing, people, you know, people ask me like, what do you have against Kyrie? I don't have anything against anybody. What, what I have a problem with is logic. And if people are pretending a certain thing is the way it is when it's not, that's, that's always when I'm going to speak up. I don't know if he's a winning player in the way people think anymore. And if I'm the Nets, I'm just, I want those Laker picks. If I'm any other team in the league and I don't care about, you know, um, my future necessarily this year or I need to change my roster somehow, I want the Laker picks. Those things, the Lakers are a panic trade waiting to happen. They have to make this year's team better. They don't want to finish in the top seven. And they're going to, especially after what we saw from Russ tonight, which was just a complete catastrophe, Russ and the, those two firsts, whether they're lightly protected, whatever, those are going to be available over the next couple months. And the key with trading for Russ right now is you can trade him again before the deadline, right? You have to wait two months, but then you can spin him again. And I got to be honest, if I'm the Nets, I'm thinking about trading Kyrie for Russ and the Lakers two firsts. I would want them unprotected. But you say the Lakers, like, here's your way out. We'll give you Kyrie Irving and then you guys can sign him after the season. Give us those two picks. And the Lakers will be like, no, we'll give you one. But if the Nets hold strong and they make that trade, let's talk through this for a second. KD flips out. He gets mad. Well, you're under contract. What are you going to do? You can still take that Westbrook contract two months from now. You can flip it into a different asset. Use one of the two picks, keep the other ones, or use both if another star becomes available. You can patch together some of the Kyrie stats are most of them with, with Patty Mills and with Seth Curry when he comes back. Remember how good Seth Curry was on Philly last year? He's in a contract here. He's motivated. And I would just think about it because from what I saw with the Nets last night, and granted it's New Orleans, terrible matchup. I get it. Um, I just don't think defensively they can be a contender. So if I can't win a title with the team I have, why not reboot? Kyrie's not coming back there next year anyway. Why not think about re this Lakers thing? This is a once in a generation 
chance to get these two picks from a team that's going to panic. And I would consider if I was the Lakers, I would. Um, speaking of New Orleans, you know, we love them in the over-under pod. That was one of our big picks. And, and uh, we just thought from a talent standpoint, they had to be considered like a fringe contender, I think is what we used. From what we saw from Zion in that Nets game, if he's going to stay like that the whole year and he's going to be healthy like that, they are more than a fringe contender. They're a legit contender. They have too many weapons. Every time they were, you know, they'd be that they'd be up 12 and then the Nets would get a basket. Oh, the Nets are making a run. They're up eight. And the, and the Pelicans were like, cool. Zion, just <laughs> go into the paint, barrel through, through three people and get us a, another layup. He, he looked like Zion from two years ago. So now if you're the Pelicans, you have this Lakers pick that's going to be like top five, top seven. I don't even think you need to trade it. I like the team, especially if Trey Murphy's going to play like he did. I might just kind of roll it and then think like, holy shit, on top of all of this, this nucleus, that's like the very least like a second level contender. Then we have that pick coming. Unbelievable turnaround. I thought 15 months ago, I was like, this is a mess. Zion's trying to get out of there. David Griffin has ruined this team. And then you think like the Herb Jones draft, they get Zion back. Great McCollum trade. And uh, and they really put something together. And it was, they, they I, I bet, full confession, Raheem convinced me to bet on Brooklyn last night. That game was over in the first quarter with, with seven minutes left in the first quarter. You knew it. It was like, there's no way they're stopping the Pelicans. So I think, uh, I thought Denver was going to be the one seed in the West. And the really ballsy pick would have been, can New Orleans be the one seed in the West? Because that would have been like 30 to one odds. Uh, keep your eye on New Orleans. I don't think that was necessarily a fluke. It was a great matchup for them. They piqued my interest. Another team that piqued my interest was the Hawks. And I'll fully admit, I thought the Hawks were a playing team. I was dubious of the stuff, of the Murray trade and just how it would all look. Okongwu is really important for them. We talked about this when we did the over-under pod, but we felt like maybe he brings a better element, a little better defense rim protection, some rim roll stuff. Um, and if that plays out and in Murray's defense and then they can keep Hunter healthy, you know, it all seemed conceivable. But then when you actually saw it last night, um, I think I might, I, if I could do the over-under, like in my head, the playoff team thing, I think I would flip Atlanta and Cleveland. I think Atlanta is probably a safer bet to be a top six team than Cleveland is because they have a little more of a defensive identity now. They also have a Capella trade to make. And I was wondering, like, if the Warriors end up getting frisky with the Draymond thing and decided they need to trade him, there's there's some sort of Hawks trade that I think could be pretty fun. Get Capella back. Maybe there's one more piece. I don't know. But I was trying to think of Draymond teams if the Warriors just said, fuck it. And I think that's a possible team. Denver, I'm not going to panic. They lose to Utah. Utah is going to be one of the, they have a lot of, you know, guys that can look good for any given night. And I think they're going to upset a couple teams the first month of the season before Danny's like, screw this and just starts uh, fire selling everybody. But Denver, Denver's one guy short in the bench and I'll be interested to see how they handle it. That When Jokic is out, you're just like, oh my God, really? So they they have to figure that out and they have to get a little aggressive with that. Uh, the Knicks with Jalen Brunson was the last thing that piqued my interest just because I think he actually became underrated because the contract and people going, oh my God, that's so much money. He's not even an all-star. 
But you know what? He's good. He's he's a really good offensive player. He's smart. He's almost like one of those quarterbacks that's a good like a game manager. They're not like Justin Herbert. They're not gonna have seven touchdowns. But in, when it's like at, in football, there's those quarterbacks like freaking Matt Ryan, who's almost washed up at this point. But in those close games, it, they they just have a poise to them. And I think that's what the Knicks didn't have the last couple of years. So even though they lost that game in overtime to the Grizzlies, uh, the Brunson thing, I thought you could you could see what they saw um, from a character standpoint, from an end of the game standpoint. So I thought that was good. And I, I was I was glad because I like him. So I was psyched that uh, I was psyched that the Knicks have a little hope. But again, data trailing back to Embiid, I still think just watch that situation, watch the little quotes and the tweets because I think that could turn into something. Uh, before we go to the rest of the podcast, McCaffrey got traded tonight. Christian McCaffrey traded to San Francisco it was for like a second and a third and a fourth next year, and then uh, a fifth the year after. Everybody thought he was going for two first. It made me think how much more fun the NFL would be if we had more trades. Because it was like, I, I was in the Spotify suite. Spotify with the suite now. Kudos to Spotify. I was in the Spotify suite for Lakers Clippers. And that trade happened and we're all like, whoa. And it, you know, it became this talking point in the suite. And you just think like there's never football trades. And we're in basketball. There's whoa, whoa, bomb all the time. But in football... Really not as much unless you get around the draft and like we had the Russell Wilson trade last year, stuff like that. But that was like a rare in-season woe moment. I just wish there was a way with the salary cap we could have more of these. But it it bumped their line a little bit. They're on FanDuel. They're 14-1 to win the title. It got bumped. They were even odds today for the division. Now they're minus 110. Uh, this trade torpedoed my Carolina bet officially. I had the wrong team. I had that. There's no fucking way they're making the playoffs team. I had it as I knew it was going to be an NFC South team. I had Carolina. It looks like it might be Atlanta. Although I guess the Giants are going to count too. Uh, really nice trade for the Niners. Obviously, because what do they care about non-first rounders, especially when they know the NFC is wide open? And other than Philly, like why can't they be the two seed? Their division is way worse than I think people thought. But the McCaffrey piece of it was interesting to me because this happens with athletes sometimes. You know, you see it happen with Mike Trout, right? Mike Trout was won all those MVPs. He was the best player in baseball for years and years. And like the common sports fan had no Mike Trout experiences. There was no, we didn't, didn't get to watch him in October. We never got to see him in big spots. And he just kind of existed over on the side. But yet every time he did a draft or fantasy auction, whatever, Mike Trout's going for... 65 bucks and it was almost like you're drafting a, a zombie. McCaffrey was kind of like that for football. You know, Carolina just never really mattered. And in the football draft I had, he was like 65, 70 bucks. And he was just this guy that was happening over here. Um, or you'd see him on the red zone every once in a while, but it seemed relatively inconceivable. We would see him in a big game. And now he has a chance. You think about some of these guys that get to play in January and February and how differently we feel about them, right? Like how Tyreek Hill, all those big Chiefs playoffs games he was in, now we feel like, oh, I have all of these Tyreek Hill opinions because I got to watch that. Um, McCaffrey, I have no real opinions other than, yeah, the guy puts up stats. What's it going to be like now? 14 to 10, uh, you know, round two, they're playing at Giant Stadium because somehow the Giants have a two seed. 
and they need to have a long drive. And it's like, can you have the 80-yard drive with McCaffrey? Can he hold up physically for four straight rounds? There are all these questions that are now going to be answered with him. But I thought it was a really cool trade. And, you know, with Carolina, I'm thinking as a Pats fan, because we're going to talk about it a little bit, I, I really do like this Pats team. Like Brian Burns, man. If you're having the fire sale, come send Brian Burns to New England. <laughs> Let's make that happen. Let's add him to the defense. DJ Moore will be another one who it'll be fun to just see him with a real quarterback. Who knows if he'll be able to find the right team. Could be, I don't know, Baltimore, possibly. But if Carolina fire sale, a fun little wrinkle for the season. They're owned by a hedge fund guy and he'll he'll get it. He'll be like, we're bottoming out. We will have the first pick. So Carolina has thrown their hat now in the ring for the uh, we will have the first pick. It's hard to imagine them winning more than once or twice more. Anyway, those are my uh, McCaffrey thoughts. We're going to wrap it up. Let's take a break. Coming back with uh, Ben Solak talking football. Football season, we are knee deep. It is still the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is free bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, just sign up with promo code BS. We're going to do million-dollar picks later. The Seahawks will be prominently involved in an underdog parlay. If you're looking for a fun, no-sweat first bet, Pat's over eight and a half wins. I think it's plus 105 on FanDuel right now. Make that. Just ride the Pats. Go for it. FanDuel, tons of betting options for each game. With live betting, you'll get updated odds on games that have already started. And with FanDuel's new live SGPs, you can create one even after kickoff. They also have all the NBA bets you would ever want. Sign up today with promo code BS for your no sweat first bet. Make every moment matter more this season with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You must be 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-retrialable free bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. All right, Benjamin Solak is here from The Ringer. We're going to talk about draft classes to start off. You like the 2022. We're going to talk about that in a second. 2021 QB class. When do we start getting worried? I didn't even prep you for this. I'm just throwing it at you. Lawrence, his win-loss record is now 4-18. Not great. TD interception, 17-17 for his career. And since his really nice week, too, it seems like he's going backwards. You got Zach Wilson of the uh, Super Bowl favorite New York Jets, who <laughs> somehow <laughs> 10 TDs, 13 picks for his career, and the Jets fans are terrified every time it's like third and eight. Trey mm-hmm. Lance is hurt. Fields... I just don't know if he's uh, a starting quarterback. He's 11 TDs, 15 picks for his career. You have Trask and Mond and Book and Ellinger. No idea what happens with them. And the best two QBs so far, just statistically, have been Davis Mills, 
and Mac Jones, Gross. who is currently in a QB battle with Zappy, <laughs> who nobody knew who that was four <laughs> weeks ago. Um, did we miss on this class? What are you worried about? I think right, I think we certainly missed a little bit. One of the main things about Lawrence coming out was that there was this kind of golden child next to Andrew Luck title that was dropped on him. And then you watch the Clemson offense that they ran there, and it's like bubble screens, RPOs. It's it's not it wasn't grown up, right? And so a big part of Lawrence's transition was from a tools perspective, from an intangibles perspective, mentality perspective, and then the way he throws the ball and how it arrives. Yeah, it's all there, but like he's gonna have to grow up into an NFL offense. He's going to have to transition more so than guys like Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. So that was not the narrative going in. But Wilson was like playing at least like a Shanahan-inspired offense, right? Uh, Fields was throwing like common NFL concepts. Lawrence was running a ton of college stuff. And then his first coach was Urban Meyer. And that just went so, mm. so poorly, right? So this class, I, I don't feel like we missed on it too much in terms of the talent. But the... uh the lessons we're going to learn about development are going to be really big because you get Lawrence in that sort of a situation. You get Fields in Chicago where like Fields looks not good, right? Like I, I was a huge yeah. Justin Fields fan. I hate, the way he, yeah, I hate the way he looked through the back half last year. I hate the way he looks through, through uh, the first half this year. Like the Vikings game had nice moments. Washington game still had nice moments. Like there's stuff you want to hang your hat on, but the totality of it is poor. And then you look at what's been around him. You're like, could anybody have? Could I have dropped Johnny Unitas in here and he would have developed? You know what I mean? Like, like the context just does not foster the development of the quarterback. The line is breaking him. He's getting David Card. Like the the uh, charting services have checked. Like, oh, the offensive line's playing well. Sure, but not really. And also, Fields doesn't know how to behave behind an offensive line right now. He never learned how, right? And so you just have you have so many stunted spots of development. Wilson and Lance with the injuries that it it feels more like a missed opportunity on this class as opposed to like we really missed on the talent. Yeah. With quarterbacks, especially the pedigree guys, it is crazy how they can just get broken. Mm-hmm. And we see it like in baseball, it happens with baseball closers, right? We had like going way back. The Red Sox had Calvin Chiraldi who was throwing high nineties was like everything big, tall, closer, durable. And the 86 playoffs happened and he's just broken. He's just never the mm-hmm. same after that. We've seen that over and over again. You see it hockey goalies. There'll be some goalie that has a bad playoff series or a bad postseason and they just crater and they're never the same. Quarterbacks, mm-hmm. like Carr is a good example. I feel like it happened a little bit with Baker Mayfield because I think what made him, maybe physically he's, I don't know what kind of damage he's had, but mm-hmm. that dude carried himself with a lot of confidence. And the guy in Carolina was like a broken man. And we've seen yeah. this over and over again with quarterbacks. I don't know where I stand on the Lawrence thing. I've lost money on the Jaguars three weeks in a row. And what was alarming to me just for the Lawrence future thing is I, I didn't really trust him. Yeah, he, he seemed a little discombobulated. I'm not sure about his choices. I thought he was going to be so athletic moving around and just like just putting so much pressure on teams for and it doesn't seem like that's really the case. I don't think his skill guys are that bad. ETN has been I think really bad, like he's had big drops and bad moments mm-hmm. for them for what you're expecting. But for the most part, I don't see the golden child thing with him. And yeah. that's like, how much longer does he have, in your opinion, where we should start readjusting our expectations for him? I'm certainly happy to give him the rest of this year because of the urban thing. I like yep. every time I talk about the Jackson Lawrence preseason. Now, I always end up saying like, we are underestimating how much urban affected this team in the development. And even mm-hmm. if it's like the only thing we talk about for the next 10 months, we're probably still underestimating. Like it was so detrimental to the culture of the team and to the development yeah. of the young players that to me it very much feels like a rookie season for Lawrence in that regard. The 
improvements that they made in the skill position players are to his benefit. The improvement they made in the scheme is to imbe- is to his benefit. And you see some of that in how he plays. They do still need a little bit better speed because right now they uh, they throw a lot 10 to 20 range and they really don't throw p- past the 20. So they, they don't stretch the field as much as you like. So they do need a little bit more speed. But that point you make about Lawrence outside of the pocket, Lawrence mobility is so important because all we ever said at Clemson was like, It'll surprise you. This guy will beat you with his legs. You don't realize how quick he is. And then he gets to Jacksonville. And for a year and a half, he's been a pocket passer. And it's like, it'll surprise you. He'll get on top of you. You don't know how quick he is. He needs to be moved outside of the pocket a little bit more. He needs to be more willing to run and extend and, and to tuck. And critically, he has to learn risk management. The number one issue with Lawrence right now is he spent all of his time in Clemson never, 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 never getting burned. It never hurt. Even when he made his mistakes, they just trotted out a defensive first rounders. And they just stopped whoever was opposing him, right? Like, save for, like, a national championship, it really was never a bad Lawrence game, a game where he made mistakes that that, handicapped, that uh, hamstrung the team. So then you go to a second and goal, one yard, uh, two yards to gain against Houston, and there's no window. There's no throw. But he's never been burned before, so he throws it. He tries to jam it into the yeah. window because he's never hurt. Right. And so now I think you start to experience that hurt. You start to learn what NFL speed is like, how NFL teams can punish you off of one mistake. And you start to learn how to manage risk. Managing risk is the number one thing a college quarterback has to learn in the NFL. What's worth it and what isn't? What, when is the juice worth the squeeze? And for somebody like Lawrence, who just always had premier talent at Clemson, to me, that's a learning process that should take his whole rookie year, which to me, this functionally is his rookie year. Yeah, I don't know what his comp is from what I've seen. I'm trying to think of other successful quarterbacks I've seen, like with his size. He does mm-hmm. move. Like when he rolls out, it feels like something good is going to happen. And then half the time he makes a bad decision. I, I'm not sure. Like if you had to, let's say one of these quarterbacks from this class is going to win a Super Bowl. Like Biff from Back to the Future is like, I, yeah. uh, there's a 2021 guy who's going to get a Super Bowl. Who would you pick at this point? Like it, it's tempting to say Lance just because we don't know anything, so it can still <laughs> right. be good, you know. Like you're just like, yeah, it's gonna be great. Uh, the Lance thing worries me just because talk about development, man. He's attempted. Yeah, you've four lost two years in now. my lifetime. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, right. it's, it's 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 really scary. He's obviously in such a great spot. I think I would still guess Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence more so feels like I wanted him to be more at this point as opposed to Fields, where it's like I don't even know if you're recoverable. I think Field still is just because of the scramble value. Uh, like yeah. the big thing I've been on this year with Daniel Jones and with Jalen Hurts is like, man, these quarterbacks who can scramble really just save your offense. Like they just pick up the floor so much. So I still have some hope for for Fields if you're in a different spot, but that's not happening anytime soon. I think Jacksonville's a good environment. I think Doug knows how to develop guys. I'd probably still take Lawrence. Uh, with that said, I would need Biff from Back to the Future to tell me one of them was winning it before I would go and put my name <laughs> yeah, on one. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah, I. I get the Peterson thing, but I think the game management stuff they've done has been really dumb, especially the last couple of weeks, like mm-hmm. fourth and one options and huge moments that swing momentum a game, stuff like that. I, Ellinger is the interesting one to me because oh, what yeah? you just laid out with Hertz and Mariota and like the mm-hmm. league is kind of moving at least a little bit with some of the QBs to these mobile quarterbacks and that's, that's his calling card, right? So yeah, I'm, I, at some point, somebody will roll the dice with that dude. And it'll probably I, I, be yeah. in Indianapolis next year. Yeah, I would not mind at all. Let's say like Indianapolis craters, which it's always funny because like Indy's terrible, but they're 3-2-1. and one, So they're in a very yeah. good spot right now. But if they crater, I wouldn't mind seeing Ellinger play at all. Just for that point, right? A scramble quarterback, it's not that he creates better plays. It's that he erases worse plays. Nine-yard sacks become three-yard runs. And that swing in terms of like expected points is 
enormous. It's the biggest 12 yard swing you could ever get on a field. It's turning a sack into like a, just like a moderate gain. And so yeah. anytime you have a quarterback who can use his legs, his ability to erase negative plays is really big to raising your floor. And so, all right, get the guy out there and then see if he can become something more. And that's why the Jets with Zach Wilson are, are exciting because I wasn't the biggest Zach Wilson fan. Me neither. Coming out, I haven't, from what I've seen, I'm not, you know, super encouraged. I think there's, there's good notes and there's bad notes, but the Jets offense is good. Like the Jets' offense works right now. They have a great running game, and they, they've scrambled together this line well enough that they can get it done. They have good receivers. This team's working, so that lets Zach keep playing. It, Zach doesn't have to like make hero plays on every fourth down like Justin Fields to keep the team alive. He can just run the offense. That gives him the room to develop. The guys like Lawrence and Fields don't have as much of right now. Well, and he did have the Pittsburgh game. He at least did it in one moment. They're down 10 in the fourth quarter, and they got two touchdowns, and they won the game. Mm-hmm. That's not nothing. I'm, you know, he had 110 yards passing last week. This will be the week because I think Denver's defense is good. Like, I really do. I think, like, if I was on that Denver defense, I'd be like, oh my God, we've scored seven fucking touchdowns this year. Like, can you guys help us mm-hmm. at all? Yeah. Like, anything? They're, they're giving up, I want to say, just over 15 points per game, and the offense is scoring like just over 14 points per game. It's like unacceptable, the disparity between how well the defense is playing the offense. But yeah, that game is tricky for me because talking about young quarterbacks, Brett Rippon, who might start for the Broncos over Russell Wilson, it can play a little bit. Like he he can point yeah. and shoot. And this offense is in point and shoot mode right now. Like if you can just get the ball where it's supposed to be, when it's supposed to be there, we can actually move this thing a little bit. That plus the talent of their defense, they yeah, they, they might like look a little bit more like we hope the Broncos might look. But the way the Jets are running the football is really tough to to thumb your nose at. So Jets running game versus Broncos run defense is one of the coolest things for me to watch this this week. I'm excited by it. Yeah, you know, I love the blue chipper thing. The Jets mm-hmm. just have a bunch of blue chippers now because they've been drafting in great yeah. spots and the Adams trade was great for them. But Brees Hall is breathtaking. Brees is awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's really, every week, he's just jumping off the TV. Garrett Wilson, same thing. But they have real guys and then some impact guys on D. That, I I don't feel like that's a fluky four and two. You wrote about the Giants yeah. uh, this week for the ringer. And that five and one is a little more fluky. Like, for instance, I thought this was amazing. They well, first of all, Football Outsider said they're the second worst five and one team by DVOA since nineteen eighty one. And I was like, that checks out. Yeah. <laughs> I've watched all the Giants right. games. I don't know how they're doing it. They have six 20 plus plays this whole season. Everyone else has at least 14 in the league. They have six. Yeah. I'm like, that checks out. I watch them. I have no idea how they're pulling off these 15 play drives. And now here they are. They get to play this week against this this uh, dumbass Jacksonville team. And this is like the classic, oh, the stats I should take Jacksonville. They even burned too many times. No, it's like, oh, this is Jacksonville's home. This is the week they get it together. Too many people on the Giants. This line could be Jacksonville by six in two mm-hmm. weeks. I'm going to jump on it now. And yet I don't want to take Jacksonville. And I don't really want to go against the Giants. What did you learn when you were doing the research on them? Yeah, so that this Giants team is the definition of scraping it together, right? It's like a couple dudes who know football get together on a Tuesday and they go, okay, what are y'all seeing that's weird recently? Let's do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, like yeah. Martindale's the defensive coordinator. They blitz like crazy from a ton of different looks, right? They had looks against the Ravens in their option running game. They're like straight out of like Army versus Navy triple option stuff. Like a linebacker behind a linebacker behind a linebacker, all, all perpendicular line of scrimmage. Nobody's doing this. What are you... Like, stop. What do you do? Well, how are you doing this? They got six-round rookie corners starting, and they're still just playing man coverage with no safety help. Are you insane? Yeah. Like, we can't do this. And then offensively, 
the nice thing about Dable is he's been so many spots. He spent time in college that he's just willing to try stuff, man. I mean, yeah. they, they walk out in Wildcat. They walk out with three running backs and then three tight ends and they're motioning to full house and they're running reverses. And sometimes it's Daniel Jones tackle for a six yard loss. Other times it's Matt Breda with an 18 yard catch on third and six, right? Like their conversion rate on third downs and fourth downs is really good offensively. And then defensively, their red zone uh, stop rates really good. They don't give up touchdowns in the red zone. Those are noisy, noisy things. Those are very high variance stats. And that's where they're making their money right now is we force you to take three instead of seven. And then we put together these drives where we convert all these third and these fourth downs. That's going to go away, right? That, that, that's going to go away even if the team continues to play as well. It's just noise. It's just the nature of stats. And when that does, the chinks in the armor start, start to become more revealed, right? You start to realize, oh, this team isn't, isn't super complete. So yeah, Jacksonville makes sense as a bet. But you have to time the week just right where variance hits. And that's very hard to do, especially against a team like Jacksonville, who, like you said, situationally, like I think Doug's a good coach, but they've had their bad moments. And so, yeah, Jacks minus three makes sense. They're definitely three points better than the Giants. I just am not sure that's going to manifest itself in the final score when the clock's at zero. Well, and then you also have the Giants, who I think are one of the best coached kind of game yes. management teams that we have this season. And I think it's Arthur Smith and Dayball for the coach of the year so far. Dayball's just maximizing them. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the point of the chaos, right? It's because if you had Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis and yada, yada, whatever, you try to run something that's just like, all right, four wide, spread it out. Exactly what he was doing in Buffalo. Let's be better than you. Let's get our matchups and let's rely on what we know is good, what will show up week in and week out. But this is Daniel Jones throwing to Richie James and David Sills and Marcus Johnson. It's not that. And so they have to be like a lot of other coaches would have been like, I'm going to start installing my system year one and we're going to see who can fit and who can't. And Dable said, what can I possibly do to get 17 points out of these guys? He did the Belichick. Yeah. It's just like, who who do I have? All right, I'll figure it out. Yeah, when they when they get into their running game stuff, it's very mid-2010s Belichick, where they're like, hey, here's six offensive linemen and two tight ends. You like playing physical? You like playing ball? We're going to see how much you like playing ball for 60 minutes. And then it's Saquon in the hole. And Saquon, like for as athletic as he is and for as mobile as he is, Still a big dude. He is not yeah. fun to tackle. So they 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 get that extra lineman, they get those tight ends in the line of scrimmage, and they get very, very physical up front, which is, yeah, the moment you see it, you're like, yeah, there's the tight ends coach from the Patriots. Well, we've seen that before. And Jones is is physical too. The uh big guy. Football outsiders had some fun stuff this week. Kudos to them. I always enjoy it every week. But they yeah. had the the best teams with losing records through six games by DVOA. And of course, Jacksonville made the list. Um <laughs> These are all like two and four or two, three and one teams who had DVOA basically over nine. I don't totally understand the DVOA numbers, but nine's, nine's solid. Yeah. Um, but you look at how those records finished. So that it's funny, the 2000 Pats were the best team on this list. They had, they fit, they were two and four with a 24 DVOA after six <laughs> weeks. They finished six and 10. Yeah. But the groundwork was kind of late a little bit for the last season. But anyway, the top, the top like 11 teams, five and they finished five and 11, eight and eight, seven and nine, eight and eight, seven and nine, seven and nine, 10 and six, seven and 10, three, 12 and one, six and 10, seven and nine. So what's interesting to me about that is it's actually a horrible sign if you're two and four with a good DVOA based on the last 40 years of NFL history. Right. And I look at this Giants game and I'm like, this is kind of a nightmare for Jacksonville, right? This is a team mm -hmm. that shoots itself in the foot. They do dumb things. They snatch defeat from victory. They've done, I've wa literally watched them do it three weeks in a row. Yeah. Um, they've turned the ball over fourth and one, just punt the ball. They don't. And it feels like this is a nice spot for the giants. And I keep staring at that giants plus three going, Hmm. 
My all these people that are gonna get suckered into Jacksonville. Anyway, um, that's one. And then the other stat that I thought they had that was amazing was Indianapolis, who since 1990 has the third worst DVOA of anyone after week six that has a winning record. They're minus 23.4. They're 30th in offense and 31st in defense. And I'm like, like that bears out too. I lose money on Indianapolis every week. So that yeah. makes sense too. So you're talking about since 1990 through six weeks? They're the worst? Through six weeks. They yeah, have yeah, yeah. the... Third worst DVOA of anyone with a winning record. I makes sense. It is, yes, and it's a disgusting formula to watch. And I'll, and the re- I'm very heavily fading the Colts down the stretch. And the reason is because Matt Ryan has held this thing together with duct tape and twine through six weeks yeah. in terms of like getting rid of the ball and like oh he wasn't sacked against Jacksonville. Watch that film. That 38 year old cannot continue to be hit like that, and he's going to be. Line ain't changing. It's the same guys. He's going to get hit every single week, and the quality of play is going to deteriorate the colder it gets, the older he gets, the longer that season goes on. Uh, so I'm very much in a position where like, okay, the Colts are three, two and one, like oh, Titans minus two and a half. Like maybe they'll take control of the division. No, I don't see them beating physical teams, especially as the season goes on. Yeah. They've scored 10 touchdowns this year. And I think like at least three or four of them have come at the end of the game when they had to like mm-hmm. throw a drive together. And Ryan's like almost been heroic <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ryan, for the amount Ryan of is, shit he's yeah. been hit this year. It's crazy. It'd be incorrect to say Ryan has been good because he hasn't because this he context hasn't. doesn't allow him to be. But relative to the hand he's been dealt, you know, like he's playing seven two off suit pretty well. Like he's doing what he can right. with what he's got. It's, it's cool to see. Three two and one is an overachieve to say yeah. the least for that team. Congrats let's take a break. We never talked about this year's draft, so let's do that after the break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like McLoob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at McLoobUltra.com slash courtside LDA 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe Spring. On the way, warmer temperatures, more time outside, more time away from your home. Do yourself a favor. Make sure you're doing what you can to protect your place and get a Simply Safe home security system. Comprehensive protection for your whole home, a great way to keep you and your loved ones safe. What if you're going out for Easter for six hours? You don't think the burglars are going to figure that out? That y'all y'all packed up your car at like 1130 on Easter and you drove off somewhere? Yeah, all they need is an hour. I'm not the only one singing Simply Safe's praises. Simply Safe, named best home security system in 2024 by US News and World Report, recognized for the best customer service and home security by Newsweek. Protect your home today. I use Simply Safe and love it. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when they sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash BS. Don't wait. That is simplysafe.com slash BS. All right. The uh, 2022 draft you like. This mm-hmm. is loaded with uh, either blue chippers or red chippers across the board. Uh, what has been some of the stuff that's jumped out to you? Yeah, I think that we watched this class uh, coming in. We were like, all right, it's a bad quarterback class. There's not a lot of talent at star positions. Like, okay, this kind of sucks. Like, oh, wide receiver will be good. And wide receiver's been great. Uh, you took 
if you're the Falcons, you took Drake London, you're happy with what you got. You're the Saints, you took Chris Olave, you're very happy with what you got. Even the Jets with Garrett Wilson, like volume target wise, they haven't really gotten where they wanted to be with him, but talent wise, like, very good. No, that dude has it. Yeah, he's yeah, good. Yeah, he's, he's got the stuff. Uh, some of these players at non premium positions, or at least like positions that don't get as much cover in like the fantasy football world, have been incredible. Uh, we have not had talent at corner come out like we've had in the last two years combined, where J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan came out last year, and then Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley. Holy Moses, man. Sauce has been the best rookie with a bullet through through six weeks. No question in my mind. This corner for the Jets, where the 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 game he had against the Packers was unbelievable. I mean, the, what he does in off cover, what he does in press cover, the ability to get into the catch point. He had the pass break up on Alan Lazard when he was out of phase. Like, guys, corners are either short and quick or long and physical. And Sauce is long and quick. They don't make it right. like that. Like, it's right. just not like it's, it, you watch him move and it's confusing. He looks like he used to be playing receiver, right? Like, it's like Jerry Judy on breaks, but this guy's 6'1 with arms. He can touch his kneecaps without bending over. The sauce is incredible. And then Stingley's been extremely good. He's what lets the Texans play man coverage, right? The Texans are Lovey Smith cover two team. They play zone. And Derek Stingley took out Cortland Sutton for an entire game. For like, like he lost his moments, right? Like, Sutton won his contested balls, but that's the toughest Sutton's been played in a year, man. I mean, like, it's the, the, the corner play that you're getting is extremely. My feelings important. are hurt. Why is that? You, I'm not mentioning Jack. Where's Panda Jack? You're talking about transcendent cornerbacks in rookie class. Panda Jack's not going to get yeah. mentioned here. Jack, oh, do we call him Panda Jack? Is the Panda Express thing? Is that? I like yeah, that. it's Panda I, Jack. I, I, like Panda. I like Panda Jack. Uh, his interception against the Packers was not as impressive as Sauce's plays against the Packers because that ball was dying in the air. Fair, but he's been very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he was, was really good against the Browns last week. Yeah, I, I th- there's starting. There's a swagger that I think the mm-hmm. defense has for the Pats that he's a big part of. The Pats defensive, or excuse me, the Pats rookie class is one of the best looking classes so far. Strange looks awesome. Taekwon looks good. I, 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 when you were hyping up Taekwon's offseason, I was like, <laughs> oh, I don't know, Give yeah, me a fire yeah, no. hose. Oh, Taekwon looks fast as all get out. He looks really Did explosive. you see how they're just, he's in that zone where they're just like, how do we just get him the ball? Yeah. Reverse. Bubble screen, like how do we just get, can we get him seven touches? There's a, uh, and also there was a third down. I think it was, I think it was second quarter where Zappy forces it to Parker on a slant. And beforehand, he looked at the one on one route with Thornton. He didn't take it. Thornton cooked somebody off line of scrimmage. Just wide open. Just great release. Like, and that's, that's all him. That's no like yeah. emotion. So, much. yeah, yeah. No, he did it like, in preseason too. And that, yeah. though, Marcus Jones, they hit on the fact that Zappy was able to play was amazing. I think like yeah. 10, they had 10 rookies contribute in some way to that Browns game. Anyway, I knocked you off. So we love the cornerbacks. What else do we love about 2022? Yeah, so we love the corners. Obviously, quarterback is not going to be in a strong situation. Uh, the defensive guys that we've gotten through the first round have generally been mm. pretty good. Like you're, If you're the Lions and what you've seen from Aiden Hutchinson, you're feeling like a little bit worried because uh, Hutch has been okay. He hasn't been terrible. He hasn't been great. Kayvon Thibodeau with the Giants looks clearly better. Trayvon Walker with the Jags, who like it was very fun to make fun of the Jags for taking Trayvon Walker first, looks a lot better. Uh, Walker's just so physical, right? You don't get height, weight, speed at the edge position like this. He was playing interior for Georgia, and mm. he kind of doesn't know what he's doing. So they just kind of like point him, and they go, all right, just kind of run through that guy as fast as you can. And then he does. And like that, that's kind of like all his scope right now. But that's okay, because it's working for them in terms of the chaos that they create. Uh, so him, uh, Jalen Petre, the uh, the safety for the Texans is really, really good. Jaquan Brisker, the safety for the Bears is really good. The defensive back talent st- defensive back talent stands out. And then the edge talent, especially relative to a class that we didn't think was that good, stands out. So it, the early... I'll tell you, I'll tell you yeah. Thibodeau jumped out last week. Yeah. Yeah, Thibodeau In that Giants took, game. He, he, he was doing shit. Yeah, and when he first got back, 
there was definitely a I got to get my sea legs under me moment. He was getting pushed around a little bit. Like, welcome to the NFL, rookie. Plus, also, like, I don't really trust my legs right now. And then that Ravens game. And it was like, yep, that's the kid I watched for Oregon. There was that moment where it felt like he, he was coming back. Two other guys I would mention, Jamison Williams, who we haven't seen yet, who people felt like was the best receiver. And it seems like mm-hmm. they nudged him back, but maybe like week nine, week 10. But when you add him to all these other receivers we've seen, wow. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to say it. I'm going to take a deep breath first. Okay. I think Pickett's pretty good. I like nah, him. I'm not with you. I like him. I'm, I'm kind of in on Pickett. You're not with I, me. I, so what, what are we hanging our hat on here? That's my first question. Accuracy, Poise. toughness, what do we got? Poise? Poise. I mean, I think he's getting rid of the ball quickly. I don't like, like, poise to me is like, I don't feel hassled in the pocket. To me, he he is willing to take a hit, but he still feels like he's hassled in the pocket. Like, so much of what he is in terms of his target distribution right now is, where's the big guy? Can I get a contested ball up in time? Which Great. Is, yeah, which is somehow this offense works, right? Like, that One should of the, be their offense. Yeah, what what right. the hell else are they going to do? They can't George block. Pickens, who Pickens, you know, if they had a real quarterback, Pickens looks awesome. Um, but yeah, like they, I, I think some of that is the function of the offense. But it's not like, and this was true of him at Pitt too. This was a narrative they had at a Pitt that wasn't true. It's not like he's a guy who stands in the pocket and goes one to two to three. He never has been, right? He oh, he looked down one, try to get one open, and then he'll start to get happy feet and he'll start to move. I don't mind that too much relative to what he's dealing with right now. Like the, at least the offensive line is bad. But I see like an accurate quarterback who's willing to take a hit. That's that's good. That'll that'll make you some money in the league. Now, what like I said, what am I hanging my hat on? Arm strength isn't there. Athleticism, like like these are all just like average traits for him. So he doesn't move very well. He doesn't sling the ball very well. Is he like moving safeties with his eyes? He correcting stuff pre-snap? Like, none of that's there for me right now. So like I have proof of concept that he'll do it at the NFL level. He'll throw a catchable ball. That'll keep you rostered. But besides that, like I haven't like he hasn't done anything yet to me where I'm like, yep, there it is. Like if Kenny Pickett's successful in the league, that's what it'll look like. I haven't had that moment with him. Wow. That was an assassination of Kenny Pickett. Was it? I thought I was I, thought I, I was, that was pretty harsh. Oh man, I, I I was trying to I was honestly. I think I was trying the to Steeler the fans on. are coming after you now. Listen, first I uh, Just kept him fun. in that Bucks game before he yeah. got hurt. Kept him my, hanging around. My dad's a big Steelers fan, and he thinks they should. He saw the end of that Steelers game. He thinks it's Mitch time now. He said Mitch got motivated by the picket. You know, please the, don't. The only reason that happened yes. was Mitch had no time to think about the fact that he was going in. <laughs> right, they just put him out there, drop him the cold it, water. They should just start him like two minutes before the game, and and then yeah, he could just go him. in with that. I like yeah. Pickett. I don't know. I I there's something about him I like, yeah. and I do think for what they need. I like their receivers and I just want to like get the ball near them and let them go make some yeah. plays. That's the right way. Don't to play make with any mistakes. Right now. Yeah, I agree with you. That's yeah. the right way. To right. Play with we disagree. Um, what about, uh, what about the two guys that chiefs got? Cause they had McDuffie and Carl yeah. So McDuffie's uh, been hurt. Carl is a solid player for them. Carl was always going to be tricky because he's one of these edges that you draft. That's never going to be like an eight plus sack guy. Like you're going to get that like once every so often, but He's really good against the run. He does generate pressure that other people clean up. He's like a yeoman dude. You know what I'm saying? He's going with his lunch pail and get to work. So Karloftis has been big for them, especially because Karloftis can bump inside and play a little bit of like interior rushing stuff, which keeps mm. Chris Jones in, in where you want him, which is between the guards, right? Like remember last year they were screwing around and putting Chris Jones at edge? Yeah. That was dumb. Now they put Naughty, Jones, and, and Karloftis inside and then they'll put Frank Clark as a one outside rusher and that makes more sense. So they've been good. And then Brian Cook, their second round safety out of, out of Cincinnati, he's learn on the fly. Spag's defense is tough to get your teeth into. You do a lot of stuff as a safety in that defense. He's handling as best he can. 
Uh, Alec Pierce, the receiver for the Colts, he's flashed. He's been solid. Luke Fortner, he's the, the center, the Jags class man, with Fortner the center, uh, Devin Lloyd the linebacker, and Trayvon Walker the edge. They hit on their first three in a big way. Lloyd's got some warts, but they hit. And that's that's been a big part why like, I think they've been a little bit of a surprise. The Falcons with London and then Arnold Abicady, their second-round rusher. Like the Some of these yeah. teams that have been a little bit better than we thought, a lot of it is early contributions to the rookies. And that's something the Patriots weren't getting the last few years. And then they finally, they hit on a couple guys last year and then this yeah. year, they really hit. Yeah, you look at the top five, Walker, Hutchinson, Stingley, Sauce, Thibodeau. The worst pick in that group is the Lions comfortable. Yeah. Everybody else feels great. That's and the tough. Lions are like, hey, can you, all, like, he had that three sack game, Hutch, and everybody lost their minds. None of those sacks are quality. They're all cleanup. They're all cleanups and games, which like, it's good to finish a play, but beat a tackle. You got to beat a tackle one-on-one and then sack the quarterback. You're going to be the number two overall pick. He hasn't done it yet. The Lions are like, hard knocks? Anybody remember when people yeah. really were fired up about that pick? Talk me out of uh, Pat's Bengals tease. All right, so I like the Pats on the tees. I, li- I like the Pats to handle the... the uh, it's going to be a rough easy, night for Fields. Easily. Yeah. The, ba- the, the, the whole Belichick thing of like, yeah. oh, you guys can't do this? Great. Yeah. And then and, and, I think and, it's going to be tough. The soliloquy he put out on how well-coached and how good the uh, Bears are. So, it's an immediate sign that he just does not respect you. Uh, so excited about that. The Bengals thing for me is that uh, they lost DJ Reader, their nose tackle, really important key to their their run defense, and also yep. middle linebacker Logan Wilson, who they're kind of trying to convince us, oh, he might play this Sunday. But initial prognosis is that he's not going to be able to go. That's the heart of the run defense. And if you lose that, they've been susceptible to the run. You saw what the Jets were able to do to them. The Cowboys did this to them a little bit. They they lost to the running game. Now you get the Falcons. The Falcons are just a nightmare to prepare for. Like, why are the Falcons 6-0 against the spread? Because no other team runs the Falcons stuff. So you have to get into work on Monday and be like, oh, we got to learn a whole new freaking defense when they put two fullbacks back there. They're going to run the option and they got like, you know, like all these condensed guys and we have to deal with pits. There's just so much to deal with that other teams don't give you that it's hard to prep for them over a week. That running game plus the weakness of the, the Bengals run defense is what freaks me out for that leg. So Falcons have been a, a trustworthy team for me so far this year. Uh, I would hope that, so. They're six and zero against the spread. That's about yeah, as trustworthy been, as it gets. It's been that, and it's been their team total overs because that that offense has worked. With that said, the moment I mention a team on this podcast, they immediately shoot themselves in the foot the next week. So maybe it's my pro Falcons edge that will be uh, strong for the Bengals. Or maybe it's up. my fault. Maybe just the stink of me this it, season just getting on through, you. Through five weeks, million dollar picks was tanking, and I was having a great year. And then week six. I had the worst week of my NFL, of like last like two years of NFL betting for me. And million dollar picks finally went up. So we're just, we're yeah, in we, all different we, wavelengths. We, hey, I mean, if Tampa beats Pittsburgh, I would have had a huge week. It was, that it was a Tampa, bummer. holy smokes. I cannot tell you the amount of times I live bet on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers during that game. It was That's, one of those games where it was 2018 and they're like, here goes Tampa for the two point. And I was like, can I bet my life they're not going to get this? <laughs> and you're can right, I exactly. bet my life on a tip ball? I would bet no, anything, everything that, I have. Even the moment that the, the Steelers finally went up the touchdowns. They've been up by like four, up by three the whole game. You're like, okay, now the Bucs are going to go score the touchdown when it doesn't even put them ahead, when they have right. to go get the two. Like, they're finally going to get their act together. Nonsense game. Mitch is completing, completing third and 14s over the they middle. They completed three third downs of 10 plus yards in the final <laughs> oh my two God. drives. It's the first three of Mitch's career. Come Why on. Why are you doing this to me? Can I give you a quick Cincy thing? Yeah, go for it. They lose to Pitt in OT week one. Burrow's terrible, and they just look super rusty. They have four road games the next five weeks. The only home game they have was a Thursday night right after a Sunday road game. They're 12th in DVOA. 
They're eighth in offense. And they're kind of hanging around at three and three. And now they have a little more favorable of a stretch here. But that's a pretty brutal start, right? Pittsburgh week one. Pittsburgh's always good in week one. And then just like road frenzy for a month. And now things might settle down. They got Chase going. There's an NFL Films thing today. Chase had the grill last week. It was one of the reasons his... his, uh, And Burrow was wearing the jersey. Yeah, and Burrow, like... They're three and three. They're hanging around. Baltimore hasn't pulled away. The AFC, you look around, it's like, all right, we got Buffalo. Pats are kind of coming on a tiny bit. KC's going to be there. Nobody in the AFC South. I I don't know if I'm the Bengals. I'm like, we're in a good spot here. We can yeah. win our division and we could be like a three seed. So to to lose at home to Mariota, who's throwing 120 yards a game, basically the last three weeks, I get it. I've been watching it. it it's been really impressive. But I do wonder if we're overreacting a little to Atlanta. Like they, right. they catch like an unbelievable break with that Niners team last week. It was just banged up to smithereens. They've had games where like they came behind late just to cover the spread when the game was over. That's happened twice. And they have a really easy schedule after this. They go Carolina, Chargers, Carolina again, Chicago, Washington, Pittsburgh. So it's like, do they need this game? This is the game you throw away if you're them. You're a little banged up anyway. Your cornerback, starting quarterback might not play. Yeah, Terrell and Michael Walker, their linebacker, both limited practice. That's a big one to watch for this game. Uh, no Terrell is a, is a, okay, Bengals might be a look for sure. But we'll see. We, we don't have the Thursday reports yet. I don't know. Cincinnati tried to lose that Saints game, man. It was ugly. They sure uh, like, did. Yeah, film-wise, was not pretty. So I, I Or was you. that a seminal moment for them where it was like, we right, could yeah, go, yeah. are we going to have a season or not? And they came up with a big play when they needed it. It kind of was a little bit because that Chase 60-yard game-winning touchdown was really the first play they've had all season that really, really looked like they used to look last season where like yep. the ball would be out to Jamar Chase and you go like, all right, eight-yard gain. And all of a sudden, he's 40 yards down the field. And you're like, yeah. how are they doing this? So like there were, a little bit of that 2021 magic did feel back. Higgins do, yeah. is back. Yeah. I do think Cincinnati is a better team than the general consensus. I just also think Atlanta is. And that's what makes it tough for me. But I agree with you. There's, there's you know, pixie dust on, on this, this Falcons run that's going to expire. I don't know if I like it this week just because of the run defense concerns. Well, I but might we sprinkle ta- yeah. I might we sprinkle ta- my pixie dust on it. Yeah, we were talking before the show. Lou and Ruma knows what he's doing too. So like he'll work around Reader and, and Wilson if he needs to. I like Tennessee against Indy. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try to fade Indy because I don't believe yeah. in it. I, I can't see like a world Tennessee. where they're four two and one. I'm gonna give you some underdogs. You tell me what you like, and then we're gonna finalize it with Schrager. Got Washington. Basically Four and a half. They're in like that plus 180, 200 range. We'll see where it ends against Green Bay. We have Pittsburgh at night against Miami. We have Jets, Denver. They're technically an underdog. Their Jets are like one point underdogs. And then uh, mm-hmm. Seattle. Yeah. Um, who's been super frisky. I, which one jumps out of those four to you? Seattle's my favorite. Uh, the uh, I trust that passing offense. I don't trust the Chargers pass defense right now. So there's a way that that one becomes high scoring, 50 and a half point total, which nowadays is like the rarest thing in the world. I think there's a chance to actually be like a little bit of a shootout. And I know in a shootout, you probably like Herbert more than Gino, but Seahawks have been around in shootouts and have hunted around won those games. Uh, Washington by fading the Packers, that's made me big money the last couple of weeks, talked about the Giants and talked about the Jets previously. With Washington, it just feels dirty. I just don't like how it feels. You know, the Jets were like, I like yeah. the, the, the way both the Jets and the Giants could run the ball. And I thought they had better offensive plans. This is like Taylor Heineke, who I haven't watched in a while. And Jahan Dotson went down during practice. Like, I don't, 
I, I hate betting Washington. So I like it in theory. It just every time my finger hovers over money line Washington commanders, I feel discontent in my heart. Uh, love the Jets on the Jets. Well, hold on. I'm Washington quickly. Mm-hmm. If the Packers lost that game, that's an official. Oh, the Packers are bad. Yeah. Right. That's the that's you come out of that game and it's like write them off. They're that team's not yeah. not coming back to lose three in a row like that. So weirdly it's a must win, but we've also seen like they do have the recipe, right? They get strong pass rush. I yeah. liked Robin. I thought Brian Robinson looked really good last week. I think they could be able to run the ball on the Packers. And then it comes down to like how sloppy are the uh Packers offense gonna be. We talked about all these rookies we liked. Mm-hmm. Watson's done nothing. Yeah. I don't no. see the Watson thing at all. And no. that might have been the miss uh, out of all those first rounders. But in general, doesn't seem like he likes the team. Doesn't seem like anyone's on the same page. There's a there's a level of like uh I don't know, unhappiness that I think is is noticeable. Yeah. And have, this would be rock bottom for them. Yeah. They have so much work to figure out this offense. And I don't know if they have enough time in one week. That feels like a bi week sort of a thing. Especially like you spring up this Washington pass rush. Montez sweats playing really good ball this year on the edge. Like, yeah. I know Chase Young was the name and obviously like, he hasn't been that. Montez Sweat's a true number one edge rusher and then Allen and on the interior is going to get it done for you. This Packers line is shaky. They're not playing as well as, as we're used to them playing. And their offensive line coach, uh, Adam Stanovich, is gone. He went to uh, Denver with Nate Hackett. And I think that's a big part of the, the drop-off you're seeing. Um, yeah, and then the last dog you gave me was the Steelers, which I don't want to touch the Steelers. Uh, I like I I would I like the opportunity to maybe pick it the Dolphins line being too juiced up. Like oh two is back. Like you know everything's going to be okay. They got problems on defense. They got problems with their line as well. I just wish we were against the Steelers. I I maybe I'm just still resentful because they beat the Bucks, but I don't trust this team as far as I can throw them. Uh, so Steelers for me are a tough dog, but I it, it's it's the juiciest one of the of the bunch plus two seventy for a team that just came off beat the the Buccaneers is interesting. I'll go into it more with Schrager, but. I am really concerned about two in this game. And if you're Miami, do you use two of the way you would normally use them? Right? You don't Big really question. want him to get a hit. And mm-hmm. the the way they used two in the past, like he would take some hits. And I don't think you want him to get hit at all. And I think the Steelers are going to know that. So then you're doing your defense accordingly, where it's like they're, they're going to get rid of the ball as fast as possible. They're not going to want to put him in any, any position to get tagged. So that makes it a little easier for them. I think their coaching right. staff um, has been, you know, they beat the Bengals. They almost beat the Pats, even though Trubisky was a con- fucking disaster in that game. Uh, only The only game they got their ass kicked in was Buffalo. So I think that line's too high is the thing yeah. for me. I think that line should be like three, not four. We didn't talk about the Jets. If it's ripping, I'm betting the Jets. And I know it's a sucker bet. And you can look at the, any website that has where the money's going on every game. And that's like flashing red flag. Everyone's betting the Jets. Stay away. Don't go down this road. Too much money on this game. And I might get sucked in. The Jets aren't for real in the sense of like, they can compete in the AFC. But they are for real in the sense that the formula works. So if you play bad teams who don't have a formula, don't have a system, we're a mess right now, you expect them to come out on top. Now, that's my thing with with Rippin and why like I like the Jets. I have the Jets from earlier in the week. I probably won't add to it. Is because I would not be surprised if Rippin plays, the offense looks better than it did with Russ. That would not surprise. Like, mm. Judah moves a little bit. Sutton moves a little bit. They got Greg Dulcich back as well, who was clearly very important to them because they like, threw to him a ton. Uh, yeah. I would not be surprised if this offense looks better and Denver starts to look a little bit more like they should. And then we can all be really dramatic about that for a while. Well, with the Jets, too, in a tease, 
One thing they've shown in a couple games already this year is even if they're down 8, 10, 15, whatever, their offense can get these quick touchdowns. You know, they're, they're definitely a garbage time team. And I think that, yep. I always look at that if there's the bigger spreads. Like, can I get, what's the team's garbage time potential? And there's yeah. some teams that are good garbage time teams. I think they're one of them. All right. Jets will so be like, a Tuesday team for me, for sure. You have to go do another pod. Good to see you as always. Good day. Appreciate you, Bill. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like McLeod Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at McLeodBultra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Picture this, stacks of sweet brown sugar bacon on delicious Arby's sandwiches you already love. Does that sound like a feast for your senses? Well, Arby's brown sugar bacon sandwiches are back for a limited time. Available in BLT roast beef and turkey sandwiches. Try Arby's brown sugar bacon sandwiches today. You can order the sandwiches online or on the Arby's app. You can tap the banner or you can visit this episode's page to learn more. Limited time offer at participating U.S. locations while supplies last. All right, our guy Peter Schrager is here. We did the picks together last week and had... Had a slight positive week. No, 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 no. Not slight. We kicked ass last week. I am so excited. I was like pumped up by how we did. Slight, moderate, good week. We did great. Well, not not according to the Buck Steelers game. That part <laughs> that was bad. That that killed that killed the overall number. But yeah, we had uh, we had the Giants against Baltimore as yeah. a swing in two parlays. One of them hit. Seattle and the other one, um, New Orleans. It was it was, was right in there. it. So like we we're getting our mojo back. We had the Patriots uh, big. Oh, yeah. So speaking of Mojo, let's talk about the league meetings. Yeah. Where is the, in my opinion, the best place to have words exchanged between two 80-year-old billionaires, which is what happened this week. So there's a lot of stuff floating around. What were you able to find out? What did we sort out? What happened? Yeah. So I first want to start off with like Jim Ursay's comments coming out after, you know, this, this, this meeting again in the hallway. Let me explain how this, this whole thing works. There's a couple of them throughout the year. One of them's in New York, one of them's in Atlanta, and then they alternate between Florida and Arizona in the spring. That's the big one. The one in the spring is where every media, you know, company president, the Fox, the NBCs, the ESPN, they're there. You've got uh, all the coaches and their wives and you got all the GMs, the president. So that's the major one. This one's a little smaller. It's in New York City. It's held in a hotel downtown. And it's just the owners and some of the presidents. And then it's the league folks. So they hit all these different agenda items. And, you know, they talked about the Snyder thing in the room. And I I wasn't in the room, obviously, um, but have enough sources who were. And they talk about it. And like, here's what it is. It's an ongoing investigation. When we get this investigation done, trust us, we we will have our, you know, our revelations. We'll, we'll be able to wait in on it, but it's basically like we're doing the investigation. We understand this is the whole thing. Ursay goes and then like finds the gaggle of reporters, which to their credit are like, we're got to get a comment on something. And he starts weighing in. And I think a lot of the other owners were like, what? Like, we were just in a room with the doors closed and you didn't say anything. And then you put this out there. And 
a lot of the media commentary was like, okay, here's the break in the dam. Like once one of them speaks on it, I think even Kevin, Kevin Clark was like, this feels like, you know, one guy talks and then the avalanche is coming. But I think the response was actually like, dude, like you were in that room. You didn't say a peep. And now you're going to go to the media and, and say all this stuff. So I don't feel like that's going to be the case where there's going to be 31 other owners being like, yeah, let's get let's get Snyder out of here. I do think they're waiting for how this investigation turns out. But it was a really strategic play and an interesting one by Jim Ursay, the owner of the Colts, to come out there and publicly go against the rank of, hey, there's another fellow owner. I'm going to go at him. And then like Snyder's comment was almost like dismissive on the way back. And it was just like dismissive completely of Ursay as a whole and what his comments were. So I... It, Ursay in that room is obviously one of the owners, but I'm not sure he's the Pied Piper and his voice represents the entire room, which for better or not, maybe he was speaking. And if he did feel that way, that that's that's great. I think they would have uh, really appreciated if he said it within the room so that they can have an open dialogue as opposed to him talking about it in a hallway to a bunch of reporters. Uh, it sounds like that reflects how America works now, where people would rather just say stuff publicly or on Twitter versus like saying it to your face. Fair. The, the, other, uh, the other thing well, that was big was the obviously the Jones and the Kraft thing that you alluded to. And those wait, guys, can we talk about Ursay for one second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, please. So he does the come investigate me. I'm not afraid of this. I would argue no NFL owner, except for maybe Jerry Jones, probably has more baggage than Ursay does. I was really surprised he was the one that's like, come at me. It's like, dude. Google's yes. right there. Like, yes. yeah, I There's don't think it's hard to come at you, but obviously he just doesn't care anymore. No. And I think, I think, uh, there's a lot of that is like what I, I and I'm putting myself like for Ursa, it's like all my dirt's out there. Like it's out in the open, like come and pick it apart. Like, you know what I, what I've had in my past, but he's also rebuilt his life in a way, you know, he's right. completely sober and, and he's, he's like really philanthropic and he's got the, the McAfee appearances where there's like this, like, Oh, this is the cool older uncle thing with Jim Ursa and, his daughters uh, are doing great things in the mental health space. So like there is this 2022 version of Ursa where maybe it's like, I've got nothing to hide. I'm doing what's right. I and like it. It is kind of, it is kind of yeah. liberating to see like, Hey, you know what? And it's funny. We had him on good morning football and, and he's a personality and it, he spends a lot of his time doing music, but not in a Dolan kind of way where it's like, everybody come listen to me play music and, and you've got to listen to me and my band here in you know, a small thing. I've got Glenn Fry opening for me, whatever it was that like Dolan would do. In this case, it's like, I'm going to spend $5 million on Roger Waters' guitar and I'm going yeah. to play that thing. You know, like it's one of those deals and he's just like, I'm living my best life and I have nothing to hide and I'm going to speak out. And he spoke out for sure. And I think it, it, it surprised a lot of the owners, but it wasn't the voice of necessarily all the owners, if that makes sense. Well, he's the son of an owner, right? The rich kids who inherit the teams have provided us more comedy, more intrigue, more laughs, more hilarity than it, really anything. In basketball and football and baseball, it, it usually either goes wrong or they're loose cannons because, you know, they they were given everything they have. And, and they have a huge, huge, huge complex about it, which makes it great. And that's, and, and it's, and I, and I think there's also this division of the owners now, and this is really in the weed stuff, but to know that. Yeah, no, I love this stuff. This is, this is stuff that like, you know, I think it was, um, Mark Leibovich wrote a really good book called, uh, I forget what it was called, but it was about the NFL and the owners and how they all operate and made some ripples. It's a good read if you want, but in that room, there's such a dynamic. And to your point, you've got the self-made guys, I say self-made guys, but like, 
you know, the ones that have, have done this and they bought the team and like, they want to have their voice. out. then you've got the generation. And they usually started guys. from nothing. They're basically like the, there will be blood guys. They, yes. they, um, usually hey, had some charity. sort of not awesome family or, you know, they had to scrape everything together and had all these small victories that led to ultimately them owning it. Spot a team. on. So you got the Jerry, you got, you got Tepper, you've got Kraft, guys that like made their empires and they've done savvy things throughout. Then you've got the old school, old school generational guys. And that's, we're talking about the Rooney family, the right. Mara family. Those they got guys in super like, early when teams weren't expensive and they just kind of held on to the ass. And that's the family business. And it's yeah. like the Spanos family with the Chargers, like that's the family business. And the Bidwills in Arizona, that's the family business. And then you've got the next generation, which some of them can go either way, but it, there's this weird dynamic of like, okay. You have the team because grandpa got you the team. And then you've got the team because of it. And whose voice is respected most. And it's in a lot of ways why for years, Jerry and Kraft have had the loudest voices in the room because I think there's the utmost respect for what they've built and what they've brought to the league right. and did it on their own bootstrap. So it's it's all really interesting. And Yeah, they're so, successful for a reason. Whereas like Bidwell, Ursay, Mike Brown... Um, whoever's running Pittsburgh now, all of those guys basically inherited the team. Like you, like, like Prince Charles becoming King Charles just because he was related to the queen. Sure. And then if you imagine in the room of the dynamics where they're all voices are equal, it's where it is. And then, uh, you know, the next thing is Ursay, the, you know, publicly funded stadium, that stuff is huge in that room. And it's not a bad thing, but it's like, you know, okay, you're going to weigh in a lot of these guys that like that stuff matters. Like I just, I just paid X amount of dollars to build this stadium in my own pocket. Like, so all this stuff, it's all like you would put any group of 32 alphas in a room and see how it all works out. There's going to be, I, I heard it's worse for football than basketball. Well, cause because basketball, there's, there's a mixture of young and old football really has, and they got rid of Richardson finally, but football really has these crusty old, this is how the world works guys. Private equity has no place in the room, so it's not yep. allowed in the NFL. In basketball, you can have the hedge fund guy who puts it all. That's not allowed in the or NFL. Or the wheeler dealer who put together the giant yes, group I've and got he's got this, charisma. Yeah. I've got this athlete and this thing. No, it's just like, you got to have the money and no minority owners are allowed in the room. So on these other leagues, you could have a minority owner, 25%. Oh, he's invited to the thing. But like, no, 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 no. Just the majority owners. By the way, like, when you said no minority owners, I didn't know whether you're talking about minorities or minority <laughs> owners, because you could argue both, that either both is are true accurate. in the room. Both yeah, it's accurate. 32 um, white guys. Yeah, and and I meant minority share as far yeah. as like, and I think in basketball, they split it up a hundred ways sometimes and everybody's and they'll bring the, the team president will be in representing the owner. Yeah, they it's way more inclusive. The NFL is not. NFL is like, we're swinging it, our dicks. I paid and, for my team and this is my seat. And there's a little bit of that omerta thing that goes yeah. into it where it's like nothing leaves these walls let's but respect stuff these has walls. left the walls and for the stuff last in few recent years. years are starting to leave those walls and the jerry and the crafting i know we want to make it i heard afterwards that like jerry was like oh i didn't i didn't disrespect i you know i didn't disrespect craft and craft wasn't offended so it was great for the headline and it's definitely accurate but i don't think anybody was like craft and jerry are going after it necessarily i think that's just how they talk well, there is a piece of it where, and it seems like Jones has been pretty consistent on this. Why am I paying a guy for future performance when I don't know what the future performance is yet? Like, can and we at least have him have the performance first? He said this multiple times. Which, that's been you know, his biggest thing is about, yeah. you know, the 
the Goodell compensation package. And I think a lot of this uh, is just like, where he can hit these financial goals. If he gets these goals, then he'll hit this and he'll also have a salary. And uh, Jerry's whole point is like, well, the goals, we've already signed the 10-year media deal. We've already got this marketing deal. We've already got that going on. We've already got this stadium coming. Like, what goals is he hitting that we don't know are coming? He's going to obviously surpass those goals. So I think Jerry wants, not putting words, Jerry, but I think he wants moving goalposts as far as uh, each year. Let's see what those goals should be as opposed to, hey, he's already hit those goals. Let's compensate him for it. Well, isn't it funny that the NFL mirrors at the actual political climate in the world where, or in America where the leaders are just getting older and older and that's just the way it is? Like Kraft and Jones are a combined 161 years yeah. old and those are like, I mean, you could argue those are the two most powerful guys in the league. Very Crocky's important. up room. there. Crocky, yeah. by the way, that was another owner thing that yep. came out where he has to pay St. Louis. He's covering the NFL now and it's like 560 million. So yeah. he leaves St. Louis, goes to LA, builds the stadium that cost, I think, three times more than they expected it to cost, right? It's 5 billion. They have a ton of debt with it, even though he's got, I guess, endless pockets. But now it's even more money. This turned into like a $6 billion endeavor to build the stadium. I really wonder if they would do it again, if it was, if they could do a do-over. And you know what happens at the end of it? It says, okay, who foots this bill? And Stan says, well, we all should chip in. I mean, look what I did. I brought NFL to LA. We got this new awesome stadium. We're the number two media market. And the old and school Mike, owners- And Mike Brown's like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't ask for that. I mean, why yeah. should I pay for that? So it ended up coming uh, to a compromise. But I had an owner uh, you know, tell me that it was that as during this process, that it's one of the most uh, you know, difficult situations for the league that they've had as far as the owners go, because it's so much money. And it was a lot of that new blood versus some of the old blood as to how this mm. thing should go down. And and owners had to take sides on it. And they came to an agreement. I don't think either side is thrilled with how it turned out, but they can turn the page and say, okay, let's move on. At least it's done. Crocky was like that guy at a big dinner with 15 people where everybody's getting a burger and Cronky's like, oh, I have the porterhouse for two. But he's basically Joe House. But here's the, the porterhouse for two. Can we split the bill split 15 the bill. ways? Yeah. But he, but he also is under the assumption that it was being split going in no matter what. So yeah. he went, or, and, Well, and, so is Joe House. <laughs> from, I don't know if Joe House was was told maybe necessarily by others that, hey, we're it's all It's a Joe be, House move. I'll, I'll eat $150 of food and you'll eat so 20 So funny you say that. Let's we split the bill five ways. We go out to dinner with a couple, my wife and I, and the guy is a, is a great friend. And I always cringe because we'll go and he orders like the 1942 uh, tequila or like the yeah. really expensive. And I, I like just, it. It's a bold move. You, you like it. It like doesn't give a shit. And then it's split the bill and you're just like, mother. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. bold. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Joe house. I can't wait till he hears this. Yeah. I don't do that. I always throw in more. He's okay. All right, well, maybe we'll no do wonder Rosillo didn't show up. He heard. I know. Fucking Rosillo. A <laughs> um, lot of owner drama, which is fun. We also have some drama in the NFC West where we have a Rams team that I think might just suck unless they ha make another trade. We have a Niners team that once again is battling a shitload of injuries. We have an Arizona team that's playing later tonight that um, the fumes are just coming off them <laughs> like they're a corpse in the attic. And then this delightful Seattle team. America's team. <laughs> a, an enchanted fan base. The Russell Wilson trade is, has at least so far worked out as one of the best NFL trades in recent history. They're fun to watch. They Pete Carroll's been rejuvenated. Um, there's Ewing theory potential, even though Russell Wilson won a title. I don't even know how to reconcile that. 
And now we're looking at them yet again in underdog parlay this week. But give me some Seattle stuff. Uh, it is the best building in football right now. Like when I say like the vibes are are good, it's it's underestimating just how excited they are. And it's because of all the contributions from these young guys that were they weren't told it was going to be a rebuilding season. Pete came in and was like, we're going to compete. We're going to win games. And you're talking about two starting offensive tackles that are rookies. That is unheard of in the league. It's Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, their first and third round picks, both doing really well. Now, Kenneth Walker is the main guy back there. He won the Doak Walker Award. He doesn't know any better that he's not supposed to be running for 97 yards and breaking every tackle. Yeah. He's the guy. And then they've got these two defensive backs that, like, no one. Uh, Tariq Woolen is a fifth-round pick out of Texas San Antonio. He has interceptions in the last four games. He hits. He causes turnovers. And then you've got Kobe Bryant, the other one, who's a fourth-round pick out of Cincinnati, who's on the other side of Sauce Gardner. And no one was talking about all these guys contributing, all these guys playing well. And then you add in the Geno Smith factor where it's like, we've talked about it. He's on his fourth consecutive one-year deal with the Seahawks, doubled down on himself four times, 32 years old, and he doesn't make mistakes. He's running Shane Waldron's offense like Shane Waldron was hoping Russell Wilson would run it last year. We've got the system. You've got the legs. We can make this thing work. Uh, they are a significantly improved team this year than they were last year. That's without Jamal Adams, without Russell Wilson, and with all these veterans, like pretty pleased with how this thing is going as far as the locker room goes. Not that Russ was toxic by any means, but like there is this shit. Like there are no expectations. Let's go be really good. They're three and three in the top of the NFC West. I enjoy watching them. It reminds me of the Darren Williams trade with Utah in basketball when, um, he was a guy, they'd made the conference finals with him a couple of times. He was on the Redeem team. He's in the yeah. Redeem team doc. It was him versus Chris Paul for most of the second half of the 2000s. And who's better? Who do you got? I was always a Chris Paul guy, but was clearly one of the best. It was 12, definitely, an, definitely an argument. Definitely one of the best 12 players in the league. And out of nowhere, they traded him. And they traded him. He had just, Jerry Sloan had just quit. He was having some issues. And both sides have talked about it since. But it was one of those out-of-nowhere basketball trades that never happened. We're like, oh my God, they traded Darren Williams and the Nets, you know, they needed a face. They gave up, uh, I think, Derek Derek Favors. And then they the, had the, the rookie from Georgia Cantor Tech. Pick, yeah, Favors. Whole, yeah. whole bunch of stuff. And we thought, wow, that's a mate. Utah just punting. I can't believe they did that. And then, you know, within a couple of years, Darren Williams is moving this yeah. different phase of his career. By 2016, the Cavs are bringing him in as like this veteran free agent, but he just kind of lost it. He went from OMBA, I'm in a Chris Paul argument, to is this guy even a starting point guard anymore? And he looked the same, right? Yeah, Physically, he didn't put on 40 okay. pounds. Yeah. yeah and, and everybody's just kind of like, what happened here? Why, why can't this guy go by anybody anymore? Why, why is his shooting gone down? Why does he not seem like a winning player anymore? That's what the Wilson thing looks like to me, where I, I think I think it is what it is and we can blame the injuries and stuff, but there were the signs in the last two years we we're headed this way. And then you look at the Geno side of it, it also makes sense to me because yeah. he has shown flashes. Mm -hmm. It's not inconceivable. This is not, you know, some career thirds. This is not like PJ no. Walker all of a sudden being yeah. the third best no, quarterback right. in the league. So I don't know. It's, it's it, on the one hand, an amazing story. And then on the other hand, it's like, there were seeds being dropped all over the place that this was at least conceivable, including by our guy, Steven Ruiz, who had Gino like 17th in his QB power pole, like to, before the season. 
and over I'll, to I'll, us. So I'll tell you, I, I, you know, I talked to all these agents during free agency and, and Gino had offers and he waited, like totally sat out the first round of free agency. April rolls around and it's like, all right, it's Drew Locke or Gino and he goes with it. And then we had Pete Carroll on the draft. I, I worked the draft broadcast for NFL Network and day three, we interview all the coaches. It's, it's great access and they actually are very, not vulnerable, but they're maybe more open in that little window where it's draft yeah. time. And I asked Pete a question live from the draft from Las Vegas. I'm like, all right, so Drew Locke, you trade Russell Wilson. What do you see in Drew Locke? And he immediately was like, well, Geno Smith is a wonderful young man. And like he goes in this Geno thing. And I'm like, wow, okay, that's weird. you know. But sure enough, Geno was the guy from like day one, the second he signed. Like Locke and him were going to compete, but Geno was that dude. They all rally around him. And the Shane Waldron piece is good. He comes from the McVay world. And you know, people last year were like, you know, the McVay tree, there's only so many branches. Like we're done with it. But this is the offense they were expecting. They're very multiple, mm. and they, you know, they involve the wide receivers, Lockett and Metcalf. But they have a lot of tight end play, and then that running back. You put in Penny, you put in Walker, you put in whoever. They've got the lanes to do it. I, they are a pleasure, a pleasure to watch. And uh, I'll tell you, they're playing the Chargers this week. I, four and two Chargers don't feel like a four and two team. I'll say that. Well, they had that. It was the Monday night game against New Orleans when Geno played. And I remember he threw a pick. They were driving. It was like a pouring. I think, remember it was like pouring rain. It was like a weird game. Was it last year against Pittsburgh? You mean it was a Sunday night game? Or when he Pittsburgh, came in off the bench. Or maybe that's what it was. But that yeah, one of those two games. When he oh, played, you're right. He did it a Monday night game. You're right. But there was one of those games where, and he threw a pick, and you could see him. He, he was. I remember he was like holding his head. He was like, "I fucking blew it again. That was yeah, my it, chance." Yes. But there was like momentum. I don't think I even took them that week. We were meant to take them underdog. I think parlay, we did. It was like. It's like, I kind of like Gino. But I did. I'm, You're right. I'm psyched that he's doing this because like this doesn't happen in basketball. Nobody becomes like the best player in a team when they're 32. Like yeah. you are who you are by 25. Baseball, sometimes you have the late bloomers, but um, football quarterbacks, it's weird, man. What was that one case Keenum year? Yeah. It was like 29 when yeah. they... Came with the cost of like making a Super Bowl, and he was third. You know, he was third on the depth chart, and he was behind Teddy, who got hurt, and I think Bradford was also there. And then it's like, all right, Case Keenum, go in, and he takes him to the NFC Championship game. It happens, Nick Foles. It happens. Like there are guys yep. that just need to be put in the right position and be given that confidence that you are the guy once and for all. And for Gino, it wasn't just his Seattle years. Like obviously, he was the Jets quarterback as a rookie, and he beat Brady one game, and it was like exciting, but. He was he was a part of that crazy Eli Manning situation where they bench Eli and McAdoo yep. was crushed in New York and that was that and then he was in San Diego too he was a backup for Philip Rivers so Gino has waited his time and gosh at well, this point so, it's crazy so they're at the Chargers this week and this is one of the games we're honing in on for underdog parlay Solak liked it too how many Seahawks fans forty percent forty five. That team travels. That travel. That's a two and a half hour flight. It's near. There's weirdly a lot of Pacific Northwest people in LA. Yep. So I think so. From that standpoint, they're gonna have fans. Chargers team is weird. I thought Herbert. What did he throw the ball like fifty seven fifty seven times, times each time for about one yard? It was the weirdest game. Got it the shit so kicked weird. out of him. I'm so down on the coaching of that team. I don't like <laughs> the offense they run. I don't think Staley really knows what he's doing. It looks like JC Jackson, who's been hurt all year. That looks like that might be at least That's for year one, a, yeah. a whiff. Um, and just in general that the team, Keenan Allen's been limping around all year. In and out. No idea what to expect from him. And Eckler's really, really small, man. It's hard when you're, when you're running backs five, seven, they have to bring Sony Michelle in for the short yarder mm -hmm. stuff. Sony Michelle's been on 
what, four teams at this point? He is what he is. He's going to, if there's one yard to get, he'll get the one yard. He's not going to get three. I just don't see the explosiveness with them. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's fixable either with what we have with this year's team. Well, injuries all over the offensive line too. Right. So you've got That's this the other Broncos thing. team just flying and just hitting Herbert in all these angles. And Herbert is a warrior. I mean, this guy gets crushed. But the game plan was very peculiar on on Monday. And I think I would say that with with everyone who watched it. Like at the end of the first half, they were like, let's burn the clock for that Hail Mary at the end. Like very right. odd. And then Herbert threw 57 passes, but didn't complete one more than 24 yards. And even that one was like a pass and, and a run after catch. So it's like they're not unleashing him. I thought that Joshua Palmer, number five, the kid uh, out of Tennessee, the Canadian uh, Canadian burner is like going to have this great season because I'd heard that all summer. He hasn't really gotten going. Like, I don't know what's up with that offense. And their defense has played well. But to your point, like at no point do I watch that team and I'm like, oh, that's a four and two team. It's very fortunate they are. Corey Lindsley maybe comes back this week. Maybe. They're center, but that seems iffy to me. And then Zion Johnson, how many holding penalties did he have? Yeah, in he's a rookie. Monday night game. He's, he's a, a rookie. rookie. Now Hopkins is out too. So yep. two things with this game. One is that I think Seattle can actually win it. The other is that Seattle plus five and a half, I really like because you figure the coaching from the Chargers, that's worth three points toward the Seahawks. Then you have backup kicker, that's another three. And they have garbage time potential because they can score. So even if the Chargers are up 11 with four minutes left, I still feel like the Seahawks can go down and get a cheapie. So I kind of like both of them and I do think they could win. Let's do it. Well, the question for me on FanDuel right now, Kyle, turn the uh, full of shit TikTok camera on. Seahawks 10 to 1 to win the division. Niners are even odds. Rams are plus 145. And the Seahawks are 10 to 1. And I will give you the standings right now because they're not that far away. And you think like how many more Niners injuries before this becomes a disaster? Oh, all all three teams are three and three. Mm-hmm. Cardinals played tonight, they're two and four. There's a world where nine and eight wins that division or 10, 10 and seven, but especially like nine and eight is in play. Absolutely. You know, the Rams are so banged up at offensive line and look so inept that like, I can't with good confidence come out and be like, well, they're coming out of the bye week and they're going to blow up. Like, they had a cop, they have like an old cop playing center who's doing the best job he can. And they hope to get Brian Allen back, but nope. No, boom. dude, let's be honest. They're a cross off with this offensive line it's, and the it's lack of a running game. Like Cam Akers is just out. He's done. So, Probably the worst running back crew in the whole league, I would say, yeah. from a talent standpoint. If not, it's in the top three. They have one receiver. Stafford looks like he's just, you know, the Blues Brothers car. And I I don't see the roadmap for them. Really hard schedule. Whereas you look at Seattle, they have Chargers this week. If they somehow pull that off, but then they have home Giants. They still get to play Arizona. And I guess their tough games are they got two Rams games left. Mm-hmm. They have the Chiefs. They got an easy Carolina game, but I just look at their schedule and it, it feels like at least eight wins. It's at 10 to one. You might as well. I don't think it's crazy. Anyway, and I, and the Niners thing is like, that would still be who you'd pick, but and at some point you can have too many injuries. They're not there yet, but they're like a week away from being there. There's also this like weird way that the lead, that that division works that the Cardinals seem to always beat the Niners. The Niners always beat the Rams. The Rams always beat the Seahawks. 
And the Seahawks always do pretty well against the Niners. So if you're looking at it that way, Pete Carroll has knows this this division inside and out. If anything, he's not like no one's got his number in that yeah, division. It's been you know? a rock, paper, scissors division yeah. for a long time. The Cardinals being a potential disaster, I think, could really help them. And again, they could win tonight, but um if they win tonight, it know. doesn't mean they're not a disaster. Let's just put that out there. <laughs> I will say this. I wasn't yeah, true. <laughs> Well, Cliff, especially the stuff, and you guys have been talking about on your show where two years ago, Cliff's like, yeah, if I'm not calling the plays, just shoot me in the head. Like, there's no reason for me to exist. <laughs> and now we cut to this week and he's like, yeah, I should, maybe I shouldn't call the plays anymore. It's like, what? You I kind of love this was the one thing you would never accept. I kind of love this version of Cliff. He's like, eh, fuck it. Let's go. Let's try it. Like, we're going to do whatever you want. Let's go get Robbie Anderson. Let's do this. But like, I, I don't get the feeling that, uh, that, that this team built as it is right now is going to go on some wild run. And I actually think that Hopkins coming back does a great, great thing for the offense. But I don't know if they're going to be, that's not championship division quality. I don't know. Well, let me ask you this. What's worse? Denver trading for Russell Wilson and all the stuff they gave up and then giving him that contract or the Cardinals giving Kyler the contract when they didn't have to give him a contract. They didn't have to do anything. They could have just rolled it over. And if it, if they had to, they could have franchised them next year. Instead, they, it felt like they panicked and they wanted some sense of stability. It's like, well, now our GM, our coach and our QB, at least all three of these guys are under contract, but it's like, none of us thought this recipe worked and now you've tripled down on it. So Triple in down. a weird way, I think the Cardinals is worse. The, the Denver's at least defensible. Russell Wilson, proven track record, changing teams. Sure. And you for need Denver, to make a splash. You're the new owners. Like, I get the path for that. I did not get the, Car the Kyler Murray thing at all. At all. D Denver owner inherits all this. The big contract, the, yeah. the new first-year coach. The Denver owners can look at this thing and say, all right, well, we didn't, we weren't a part of the, the Hackett hiring. Okay. If it doesn't work out, we could fire Hackett. We have, you know, we're worth billions of dollars. We'll pay the money just like Tepper. Like, I don't yeah. know. I'll, I'll, I'll fire Matt Rule. I don't care about the 40 million. You might be worried about it. I, I'm not. Um, the Arizona one, like that team, they're not one of these big wheeler dealer teams. And they, that's the first big extension that they've ever done like this. Kurt Warner never got it. Carson Palmer never got that. And it's like, they went all in on this. And I don't think the Cliff and Kime extensions mean that they're, you know, lock safe for next year either. But Kyler certainly is. And you watched that game last week. It's funny because fantasy football is such a, such a, mm. you know, sometimes, you know, someone texted me, it was like, I didn't watch the Cardinals game. Kyler had a hundred yards. Was he running all over them? Like it did not. No, I don't know. I don't know where those hundred yards, it did not feel that way. I watched the game and it yeah. looked like Kyler was frustrated from the second it got going. Body language is awful. Atrocious. The worst every week on my four TVs. The worst body language is him every week. The statistical resume has been awful. I mean, there's some stats where he's like one of the three worst starting quarterbacks we have. Um, you never feel like they're going to do anything smart at any point in the game. It reminds me a little of the Kyrie thing with the Nets, where the perception is that Kyrie is a superstar and that he's a winning player, right? And yet they, the winning has not happened in the playoffs for him for the last few years. Last year, they got swept. He doesn't guard anybody. He doesn't really make, he's never made teammates better. He's never but been But he like had 60 eight. against the Hornets in April. Right. He's great <laughs> in that, where people go, whoa, Kyrie's cooking again. And then you bring up the shot in 2016, which big by the shot. way, that was six and a half years ago. It's a big six shot. And half, six and a half years ago. Um. But you watched last night against the New Orleans and 
he literally has nobody to guard on the floor. He's was had a terrible shooting night. Doesn't make anyone better. And it's like, at what point do we call this person a star anymore? Because he doesn't seem like a star to me. And I'm starting to hit that point with Kyler Murray. It's like, you can be this breathtaking player. You can pull those fourth, those fourth and goal from the seven plays out of your butt. And you're great. You're good at that. But when I'm actually run, watching running offense, you're just not good at it. And it doesn't seem like your teammates respond to you. And there's something wrong here. I can see it on my television. Yeah. And I, I, that's what they comparison. have to fix. The Rams game last year was an alarming, alarming, alarming thing. That playoff game, everything that happened, how bad it got, how it kept spiraling. And then they were like, you know what? Maybe some money will fix this. It's, it's, we've said it's it before. Brutal. It's the, it's the couple that's having an issue and then they decide to have a kid right. to, to figure it out. You've mentioned that analogy. It's spot on. It's like, all right, now let's get married and, and have a kid when things weren't going when we were dating. Uh, let me let me switch topics to a more positive topic <laughs> before we do million dollar picks. What do you think the over under for Patriots regular season wins is right now? They're three and three. Nine and a half. On FanDuel, it's eight and a half. Mm, tasty. With the Bears <laughs> coming this Monday night. Still got which the Jets. feels like four and three. Yeah. So you go through the rest of the schedule. They have Jets at the Jets next week. Home for Indy. Matt Ryan might be like in five parts at that point. <laughs> By week, home for the Jets at Minnesota. Home Buffalo at Arizona at Vegas. Home Cincy, home Miami. At Buffalo week 18. Buffalo we will think, have yep. clinched the one seed three weeks earlier. I don't see how they don't win nine games. And I think they're going to win 10, to be honest. You and I and everyone else in the media treated that offensive coordinator situation like it was, you know, Watergate. We were yeah. talking about it. I ask you now, as we see Zappi having a little success and two blowouts versus two bad teams, has it, has it clicked? Has it figured out? Or are you still have concerns about who's calling the plays and all that stuff? Because it's not a storyline anymore. And is it just they figured it out or it's because they won and it's like, all right, we'll put it in our back mirror. I think they knew what identity they wanted. They made it too complicated. When Zappi came in, they simplified it a little bit. And now I think they know who they are. And also, honestly, Harris getting hurt in a weird way helped because Ramondre just has the, the ball all the time now. And he's the fucking man. But I think they know who they are. I think the coaching stuff was was justified because yeah. nobody had ever seen this happen before. Yeah. But they look really crisp. I also think the offensive line did not play this well the first three weeks and Mac didn't play well. Yeah. But they were in those games. They were in the Miami game. They lost. Pittsburgh hung around and maybe yeah, even could have but... stolen if Trubisky was good. And then week three, Baltimore, they just fucked the game up. And yeah. Lamar did Lamar stuff in the whole second half. So, so all reasonable. Green Bay, if Zappi... If they trusted in them all at all, I think they win the Green Bay game. If it's Zappy from two weeks later. The one thing I don't get with the Pats is people are like, well, they lost to two of the worst teams in the league, Detroit and Cleveland. Who cares? Go That's... to that game. Detroit was the best, best offense in the league. And yeah, they were moving it. the ball on everybody and they were no. running the ball really well. I never and then Cleveland, Cleveland, Cleveland was favored last week and people are like, Cleveland's going to run all over the Pats. No, well, Pats run defense, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. I, I, I actually don't feel like they're getting enough credit. And I think on Monday night, I would lean toward they're actually going to kick Chicago's ass and people are going to like, oh shit, this Pats team. Because we've seen it. The people that watched every play of the Pats 
We saw it in that Green Bay game. It started Stanley. clicking. Like, this is a good team. I know it's a good team. It's it's interesting. So, um, you know, Mac, we, if we're doing this on Thursday. I think when Mac's ready to come back, he'll come back and he'll get that opportunity. And I really do start. feel that way. And if he and fucks he up, start. they'll take him out. You got it. I don't think this is, uh, you know, it's not necessarily Bledsoe Brady, but it is one of these deals where it's like, all right, well, we got a guy and we're not married to you for the next 20 years just because it took you in the first round. I think, I mean, I, I work with Jason McCourty, who was with the Patriots for three mm. years and he, he's really getting good at TV, Bill, and like yeah. really smart. I'm with like, you. I'm like, not just saying that because you're on the show, but he's way better than he was two months ago. I noticed. It, He's and he's starting to lay into, and he's like, "This is more like Cousins and Griffin than it is about Brady and Bledsoe." Mm. Where if you're there every day, like, okay, there's two young guys, but this coach, just like Mike Shanahan was, like, he's not married to the fact that he was a number, you know, fifteenth uh, overall pick. He's married to what's going to be the best thing for this team. And eventually, in in Washington, Cousins was the guy, as opposed to Griffin, who went number two. Um, also, J Mac had his. He had his uh, his charity function on Monday night and Devin was there, but so were all the Patriots players. And I'm like, give me something, bro. Like, what'd you get? And he's like, well, I talked to Mac. He's in good spirits and he didn't bowl because he didn't think like it would be a good look for him with an ankle injury yeah. to be out there bowling. He's like, but Zappy was there too. And like Zappy, uh, he's got a little bit of this howdy doody thing that like the guys are rallying around and like the guys are like, oh, Zappy's the man. Like, so both well liked. It's all positive. There, I don't feel like there's anything negative. And they, but they like each other. It's going like to come down to like Mac's going to get the job back. Mac, don't make mistakes anymore. If you make and mistakes, it, we're going to start the other guy. So this is on you. Just don't make mistakes because if you don't make mistakes, we're going to beat most of the teams. And, and the defense and the defense is playing well. And you know they've got all those guys named Jones. And they've got like seven guys named Jones in the defensive backfield. It's amazing, and they're all good. <laughs> like they're all first playing of all. Good. It's Panda Jack, it's Marcus <laughs> Jones, Jonathan Jones. We got three Joneses. Three Joneses. No, uh, the defense is fast. And I think after that second Buffalo game, really both of the second and third Buffalo games, but especially the playoff game where they were just slow. And then it's like, how do we fix this? We need speed. And they went for speed on both sides of the ball. The fact that they Strange is good and they're... they're O-line, they can, all those guys can block. People will see it on Monday night. We're teasing the Pats. I'll give you two choices. Okay. Bengals Falcons, which Solak tried to talk us out of because he likes the Falcons. Maybe not to win, but he thinks that's a bad matchup. The Bengals have some run D issues. Okay. Could do that. Or we could do the Jets against QB, <laughs> TBD, and a really weird Denver team that's only scored seven touchdowns, you can bring the Jets to plus seven and a half. Are the Jets favored in that game? No, Denver's favored by one and a half. Let's do the Jets seven. I feel like they're they're feeling themselves. Or we right could now. do each. We could do we could do the Pats tees with each. Dude, cut them up in half. I like that. I like that option. I feel or good on the could, Patriots too. Or I feel we could good put the, the Jets, or we could put the Jets in underdog parlay. Mm. Which would get us Jet Seahawks. Plus, Jet Seahawks is plus four eighty five. That's there's so much Geno Smith and uh, Jamal Adams connections there with Jet Seahawks. Um, oh, that's you're right. We got it. That's got to be one of them. That's got to be it. This is the Geno Smith bet. Jet Seahawks. Um, tell me how you feel about the Steelers in Miami and this whole Tua situation in general. Because I mentioned earlier in the podcast, like I just find it hard to believe they're going to put two in harm's way this week. I, I mean, <laughs> what if he gets like his third, 
I, I don't well, know. Another hard hit. He gets another concussion. Like they're so, so. What does that mean? He's just going to be what? getting rid of the ball in two seconds. They're not going to ever run. Like they're not going to let this guy get hit. I don't think their offensive line is very good. I think their defense has been pretty good this year, from what I've seen. But yeah. um, you know, Steelers are going to have trouble. I think covering the two receivers. Yes. I just want to throw it out because the Steelers are plus two seventy. Ooh, I also there's something and you know. You go to this Sunday night game and there's all this buildup and, the, and they need this game because they've lost three in a row and we haven't had Tua. And I think it's just like Tyreek Hill under the lights, Jalen Waddle under the lights. You got the, the 50th anniversary of the 72 Dolphins. The living members are all going to be there. You got this whole feel. And I feel like, I don't know, I wouldn't, I, I, Miami doesn't usually have a huge home field advantage, but I feel like this is going to be like Dolphins, like must win game. And I, I don't know if the Steelers have the guns to go up on offense against that Dolphins team. Can I give you one more wrinkle that you didn't yeah, mention? Please. Who's on the Steelers sideline for this game in the coaching staff? What up, Flo? <laughs> Brian Flores. Does this have all the makings of Steelers beat the Dolphins in Miami followed by Tomlin giving Flores the game ball? <laughs> yes. Flores got completely fucked over in Miami and he's, he's suing the league now and it's like, couldn't you see it? The Sunday night thing and near the end, the guy's coming over to Flores and tapping Did him you one see at a time. How quickly, and, did you see how quickly Tomlin shut it down? I almost respect Tomlin. They're like, all right, so Flores goes, I'll tell you this right now. I'm not going to say a word about this story for the rest of the week, so I'll just leave if that's what you guys... And it's like, all right, there you go, Tomlin. That's um, why he's Mike Tomlin. Great coaching it. job last week, Pam. But look, it's it's sitting there and I just I think that has to be factored in. I think the plus 270 is an interesting flyer if you team it with one more bet. You like, by the way, yeah. You do Seattle and uh, Seattle, or I'm sorry, Washington and Pittsburgh together is plus nine sixty eight, and Seattle and Pittsburgh is like I think eleven to one, something like that. So you know, just in the spirit. Green Bay of, can't. Green Bay can't lose to Washington, can they? With ten, Tyler oh, Heineke, Se Taylor. Seahawks Steelers ten to one. Seahawks so, Steelers. All right. So the case for Washington is. Yeah. You lose it. They lost their starting quarterback. It's like, all right, cool. I know. There was Carson Wentz. <laughs> good pass rush, and maybe the Packers are bad. Yeah. Would be the case. I, I would think that the Packers, I, they can't come out of that game with a loss. Are you down with uh, Tennessee minus two and a half against the Colts? Yes. Tennessee owns the Colts. Yes. Derrick Henry okay. will do what he always does, runs for 120 yards and pushes off Colts defenders. All right. It's time. Million dollar picks, week seven. Last week, Schrager rejoined the actual making the pick segment. Give it to me. We, 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 let's go. And we came out on top, dude. Up 149K last. Let's it start. It's a, getting a little momentum. A, a tepid, let's go. <laughs> Down 2.56 million for the season. But <laughs> uh, we are uh, we're going to try to win it back. The New England Patriots at home on a Monday night. I believe in this team. Playing the Bears, who kind of have to play one-handed at all times, which is the perfect Belichick opponent. Monday night, I think this Pats is an extend-the-lead team. Um, we are throwing them in a tease. Okay. Against the Chicago Bears on a Monday night with the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm -hmm. Teasing the Pats down to minus seven and a half. Teasing the Bengals down to a half point. They're playing Atlanta. Atlanta's record against the spread is? Undefeated. Six and oh. Mm -hmm. Seven and oh is like flip a coin seven times. Even Anton Shagor would have trouble coming up with heads seven times in a row. Atlanta has a little stretch in the schedule coming up after the Cincy game. They get to play Carolina twice, okay. Chargers, Chicago, Washington, Pittsburgh. You figure like 
little cushion that this might yeah, overlook this, this one. game. We need it, but we don't totally need it. It's not in our conference. And they have the Bengals three and three, a seminal moment of their season. <sighs> Jamar Chase, 60 yard touchdown, saving the Saints game, coming off this horrible stretch where they played home on a on the first week, mm-hmm. four out of the next five on the road. Now they're back home and get it going again. Let's figure out. We have six weeks of tape now with this weird Atlanta team we can look at. And I think the Bengals put themselves on the map as like, hey, don't forget about us in the AFC conversation. I'm with you. Pat's Bengals tees, we're putting 700K on this. We are putting 300K on the Tennessee Titans, minus two and a half against Indianapolis, a team that has just cost me money three times in ways that have really hurt my feelings. (laughs) Uh, Football Outsiders had, they are one of the worst DVO teams, DVOA teams ever. Oh, wow. With a winning record after week six. One of the worst ever in the history of football in the last 40 years. <laughs> and it seems inconceivable to me that that Colts team that I've been watching could go four, two, and one <laughs> with Matt Ryan just getting annihilated week after week. Tennessee kind of owns them too, right? Yeah, they've been in the last four times in Indy and they've had their way. And Derrick Henry always plays well against these guys. I, I think Vrabel's got something on, on Frank Reich as far as an edge. I, I like Tennessee in this one. More physical team. Putting 300K in Tennessee minus two and a half. Do a little 200K flyers on two teams we really like also for underdog parlays. Or 250K on Seattle plus five and a half. Mm-hmm. Going, um, going to the LA Chargers where there's going to be, what, 45% Seahawks fans. So those ugly green jer- Might see some Sean Alexander jerseys. <laughs> Could a- see a couple Jim Zorns. Nice. Maybe a well, Bosworth, a Bosworth a jersey. Bosworth, a little large in 80. I like that. Yeah. We'll, we'll have the whole, will we see a Russell Wilson Seahawks jersey? I don't know. But we're going to grab them plus five and a half against a really weird Chargers team that yeah. I think has been poorly coached this season. Backup field goal kicker. They have a way of scoring 19 points when they should have had 30. And I have questions about their offense and just some of their decision making. Their offensive line riddled with injuries. Right. Seattle plus five and a half grabbing that. And then, man, this is the most public bet on the board. And you can feel free to talk me out of it. But the Jets plus one. Ride the wave, in Denver. Ride Everyone the wave. is on the Jets. Literally ride everybody. everybody. Ride it. Let's ride. Everybody's on them. I'm going to look both ways far across the street, even though I hear trucks and cars. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like a logical bet because everyone's on it, but... I'm t- like, they are believing right now. And it's not, it, it's just, they're too young to know any better. Like they don't understand that. You know what? I'm to, backing off. I'm just going to put it like on okay. parlay. It's okay. a, it's an in the pick back off. So we'll do two and pick guys, in Seattle. First time Bill Simmons backing out mid pick. We had it little, in the books. We're taking little it where, No, no, we're going to do it for underdog. So 250 K Seattle plus five and a half. We're going to do underdog parlay Seattle and the jets both have to win. Jets in Denver, Seattle against the chargers plus five eighteen. We're putting 50 K on that. Come on, let's go. 518 plus 518. And then finally, uh, a little flyer just for me. This is yours. I have no interest in this one. This is all you. Go. It's a little 25K flyer, Seattle, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't see Pittsburgh. You do. Make the case. The Brian Flores, this was for you game. The, oh my God, maybe Tua shouldn't be starting an NFL game yet. Maybe they're going to be super cautious with them. I just think it's worth a flyer. The odds are great for Pittsburgh's plus 270 for the game, throwing them with Seattle. We're just going to put a little 25K taster on them at 10 
to one. And that's it. Those are the Million Dollar Picks for week seven. Let's go. Peter Schrager, great to see you as always. Love seeing you, man. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.